North-South Connection, we are back with the final installment of No So Special for the year 2021. We are back here with Mike Eller on the AEW side, Mike Rossi on the other side, and myself on the WWE side. Uh, this time we're going to go with eight or nine special categories that we want to hold out for the final installment of this so we can get into more details and then maybe come into more of a conclusion this time around instead of just giving our AEW or Impact or WWE or whatever picks that we picked before and then having three separate answers. Now we kind of want to come together and see if we can come with one solidified um, answer and go from there. Mike and Mike, how you guys doing? Eller first, what's up? I'm doing great. Oh, I had so much fun on like the first podcast we did for this. Being able to do a second part is even better because like now we're kind of talking, uh, you know, the eight categories are kind of like the the big deal, like the main thing, the, the thing that yeah. people kind of talk about. So I can't wait to talk to you guys about it. All right, Rossi, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely allowed me to collect my thoughts a little bit. Absolutely. And I feel like we're going to go at this A-list in a lot more of an aggressive fashion, like just in like collective thoughts and everything like that so i'm excited yeah i think we you know we didn't plan to do two parts but in the the long and the short of it i'm really glad we are so let's get fucking get to it all right so these eight categories are most outstanding wrestler which is in ring bell the bell wrestler straightforward brawling high flying all the shit we went over before wrestler bell the bell most outstanding that's what you got promo of the year Tag Team of the Year, Feud of the Year, Match of the Year, Woman of the Year, and Wrestler of the Year. When we say Wrestler of the Year, we mean complete package. Who's the dude of 2021? Rossi, for you MMA fans, is gonna we're, we're, we're giving Rossi five minutes to do MMA just because it's including the Observer Awards. I haven't given a fuck about MMA for years. Same with Ella, really. We gave Rossi his five minutes. So, Rossi, you have five minutes time during this podcast to do mma and i'm counting down for five minutes <laughs> <laughs> that's perfectly fine all right guys let's start with the most outstanding wrestler for 2021 mike eller aew's most outstanding wrestler who you got that would be keep on i mean i know it's his real name's brian danielson but i still am like it's almost trained to say daniel bryan but brian danielson daniel bryan he is my vote for the most outstanding wrestler in 2021 you know, when we think about most outstanding wrestler, we think like best in-ring wrestler. And I just, I can't think of anybody that could top him. I Between AEW and WWE, I said this earlier, I think I had like, it was 16 um, four-star matches that I had him a part of. I have, you know, just personally, a couple five-star matches that he, that I, he also was in. I went five stars for the Suzuki match where he wrestled Minoru Suzuki. I mean, these are kind of just like all over the place, but you know, from Minoru Suzuki, even I gave him five stars for his last match in WWE um, against Roman Reigns, where he, um, I thought, you know, I know there's a lot of commercials on that, but he's just, they were just so good together. Um, And even though I loved Edge in their triple threat match, I was like, oh man, what if we got this at Mania? What if we just got this like 35 minutes between these two dudes at Mania? You know, we already know he can wrestle in so many different styles. He had, like, the cool thing where he was, like, beating everybody with a new finisher. Um, every single match in AEW was really incredible. He's having a blast doing it. You can just tell he's loving doing this right now. Um, I'm not trying to be like Dave Meltzer where he says, like, oh, he, you can tell he's smiling all the time. But he, <laughs> but he, he really looks like he's enjoying what's going on um, for sure. And again, you know, he could have good matches with John Silver. He can have great matches with Eddie Kingston like he did on that um, Rampage from the end of October. 
so he's my pick. Uh, I'm just so glad he has been able to do so many great things in the company in both companies this year. And, you know, I can't wait to see what he does in 2022 as well. Yeah, like, I think that's a great pick. My pick, too, because Daniel Bryan spent January, February, March and April in the WWE. He took four months off and then he, you know, all those great things you just said about him happened in September, October, November, December. <laughs> so, you know, four or five months in AEW with our guidelines, I can also nominate him. You mentioned his WWE matches. He had a few early bangers with Cesaro on SmackDown before to slowly build up Cesaro at the beginning of the year. You know, three and a half, three and a quarter. But still, that stuff goes a long way, especially in the Thunderdome and especially in a limited seven minute and 11 minute showcase match for Cesaro to get him ramped up for his push this year. Uh, He was excellent in the Rumble. And then he went on to the Elimination Chamber. Four and three quarters. And he was the winner of that match. And he was the guy most featured in that match. He, was, he got squashed by Roman right away after that grueling chamber match, which added to a lot to the story. Led to fast lane. I had that at four and a quarter. It, it seemed like he was going to get added to that WrestleMania match, but he didn't. But then again, it, you know, it left it out. But then he worked his way to that match. WrestleMania 34, outstanding 37 Main event match with Edge and Roman, triple threat, eight, 22-minute classic. I didn't go five on it, but I went four and three quarters with a CH hair below five. Uh, didn't love the finish with Jay. I do like Roman Stackham. It's just, just a little nitpick, but it was 22 minutes, and it, it, they could have gone 10 more at that pace, and it would have been warranted. And then, like you said, after that, he had a few sol- very good to solid, solid Jey Uso matches coming out of WrestleMania, leading into his final match. I went four and a half, but still his final match on SmackDown that you were talking about earlier. Just outstanding stuff in the ring from Brian this year in the WWE, and you know not including his AEW stuff that you went over. So put, throwing that all together, most outstanding wrestler for 2021, Daniel Bryan's hands down. Rossi, what you got? So I mean, hands down until we look into Japan, um, and then we get Shingo Takagi who had about as good a year as you can expect from a guy that um, the year prior was like kind of toiling in the mid card. He kind of went from like, I I hate to use the term B level guy, but he was always kind of an afterthought on that roster. And he kind of turned it on a lot early this year, you know, some of it by consequence because they, you know, were down and they only had the Japanese wrestlers for the most part. But basically what it comes down to is this guy. I mean, if I just go by Meltzer ratings and he had one six star match, he had five, five star matches and eight four-star matches. And um, I honestly would probably have given some of those eights a, eight fours a five. Um, I mean, I'm not big on the six-star thing, and that's when the scale kind of gets wonky. But, I mean, that's 14 high, very, very high-level matches. And I think we had said, um, I mean, I don't know what we had with Brian was maybe 16. But I just think that, like, obviously, Japan, you get a little bit less limitation as far as, like, TV timing and things of that nature. So they're able to do a little bit more. And overall, just much less um, care for their bodies over there. Um, they kind of go balls <laughs> to the wall a little bit more than they do in the States. Um, and that's a good thing, in my opinion, for the United States wrestlers. But, I mean, this guy really should have been my wrestler of the year. But when we start talking about that, I'll explain why I didn't pick him there. But he was definitely the most outstanding. 
Um, I, I thought long and hard about Jonathan Gresham here, but he just didn't have the resume that Shingo did. Um, he had a really great year, and I think that his 2022 was going to be even bigger. But Shingo's year was just the likes of which we haven't seen from a guy who not a lot of people know about. I mean, I still feel like he's an underrated guy, even though he's the standing New Japan um, IWGP champion. And it really has been, what, since May at this point? So, um, or June, I should say, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the guy had just a phenomenal year. I mean, between Osprey between um, Wrestle Kingdom with Cobb. I mean, he put Cobb on the map in Japan with a five-star. The guy just did it all. I mean, him and Osprey were perfect foils to each other for like a two-month stretch. Um, and just everything they, those two touched were gold. Um, he had a couple bangers of Okada. Um, just, I mean, I mean, these are guys that aren't tough to have great matches with, but when you watch them back, he was every bit the star of the, of the majority of them. So Shingo was just awesome. And I mean, he's his profile. I mean, he was a guy that was so underappreciated for so many years. It's so nice to see that he's finally getting his due. And, um, you know, I, I don't think this 2022 can possibly be as good as 2021, but um, he, had a, he had a hell of a year. And, and I'm glad to be able to kind of throw a different name into the hat here. Yeah, it seems warranted. Um, now, he didn't go with a, a hiccup, correct? So he was balls to the wall January to, to pre- pretty much now, correct? Yeah, he was with, with Cobb uh, at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And then uh, Osprey was champ for a bit. And then um, Shingo became the champ after Osprey had to relinquish the title um, by beating Okada. Everybody thought that Okada was going to get it back uh, because everybody thought Okada was going to beat um, Osprey eventually anyways whether that was this coming Wrestle Kingdom or not. But now they're in a position where Shingo can be the champion. And as we look towards Wrestle Kingdom, Osprey never lost the title. So that's the main event of night two, is if, if Shingo can survive night one, then he moves on to night two with Osprey, and that's going to kind of be what ultimately tears it down. And, I mean, this year's, this coming year's Wrestle Kingdom is not something that's going to be, you know, as as heralded as years past, I don't think. But anything that this guy's in is going to be, you know, something that you're going to want to seek out. All right. So let's kind of let's put them together. So, it's Brian versus Shingo, correct? So Shingo has, you know, the 12 months, and Brian has about seven and a half, let's call it eight. Brian has two different landscapes to work off of, the WWE style and the AEW style. He really accelerated within both. It's hard to compare the three like you went into, you know, there's less limitations within New Japan. There's the style's way more aggressive. There's less real care or guidelines to go off of. WWE, you're handcuffed for the most part. But Brian excels in that regardless. And, you know, Mike, to really think that, if Brian was able to go to Japan in 2021, he would have definitely been there, and that would have added to his resume, too. And maybe even Shingo's where they probably would have tangled, too. So, you know, it's definitely an Oh, issue. for sure. And that's yeah. the thing that's like, if you look at, at like, so if Brian was to go to Japan tomorrow, yeah. um, Shingo would probably be his third or fourth opponent. That's how deep Japan is. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, it might, I don't know, because you would, you would probably go Okada, you would go Tanahashi, you would go, we already saw Suzuki, you would probably go Osprey. Unless if you went for the gut, um, And then it would probably right be Shingo, away. but I think Shingo would have. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if, I mean yeah. I'm just thinking just clear names, but yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think Shingo's probably his best match, um, just on style alone. You um, got and just like size and, and just, you know, what. Yeah, so you got to my question without me even asking it. Throw, let's throw Brian on that playing field right now. You know, who's his best opponent? And you answered it. You believe it's Shingo? I think it's Shingo. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to scoff at, at an Okada match. Um, yeah, but well, I just well, think about, I mean, yeah, I mean, psychology of a match. But what my thing is, the best thing about Brian is he could have four different matches with all four of those guys. Not that Shingo oh, yeah. couldn't or oh, whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's different because obviously we would need to see. I mean, I don't know how balls to the wall does Brian go in Japan. I mean, he does some. I think he goes balls, man. Crazy, crazy stuff, <laughs> I think he does. What you have to do it, what you have to do in a Japan 
Tokyo Dome match, in my opinion, is different than what you have to do uh, on a Dynamite or at, yeah. at a Double or Nothing or something along those lines. Um, even at WrestleMania, you're not going to have the chance to do it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's tough. I mean, obviously, Brian just did an hour match on TV. But were they laying it into each other like a Shingo match? Not does? to the no. extent, but... Um, yeah, at times, sure. But it's just a, it's a different level of physicality. I mean, Shinsuke got the hell out of Japan, and he probably added 15 years to his career. <laughs> Killer waves, bro. Um, so ultimately, it, it's just two different it's two different ways to do it. Um, and, I mean, it's you, you have to be great to excel at both. And I think Shingo comes over to the United States. He obviously doesn't have the same level of charisma that O'Brien has. He mm-hmm. doesn't have the level of – I mean, it, he's never worked here, really. I mean, short of, like, a little bit of ROH. But, I mean, when you look at his overall star power, Brian's going to wipe the floor with him. But – I mean, let's put it this way. I don't think CM Punk is going to Japan and working Shingo. I don't think he's going to be. He would be able to do it. I think Shingo would would turn his his uh, his his uh, chest inside out within a couple of minutes. It's just a different ball game. Yeah. So my next question was, let's throw Shingo in WWE right now against Roman Reigns. Are those? Yeah, I get it. It's we're like fantasy booking or whatever. But we're trying to we're trying to flush this out. Throw him in against Roman Reigns. Brian was in February, March, and April. It's probably just as good, but is it as detailed and in depth and does it fit into the wwe style like brian did kind of get what i'm saying in a way get where i'm getting to yeah no i mean you would probably link shingo more into like the like walter Ilya dragunov type of scene um as far as like that level of physicality that you don't really see yeah on a main roster i don't know that i don't know that a shingo is the type of guy that that would really be able to work a main roster and have it make logical sense you know that's what I'm saying. So could Shingo adapt to WWE's main event style like Brian was? I'm just trying to flush out because the thing is, I don't want to have Brian's four months off hurt him in this discussion because he took it off to heal his body or play his options or let the landscape go where it goes or whatever. Take a pretty much take a vacation that he. So I don't want that to hurt him in this res because if you look at the resumes, they're close. If you take it like. If you kind of average the month, you know, per month, if you do it for the average, but if you look at the whole landscape that you went over, Shingo's is more deep, but he has more to work, more volume to work with. But also, but Brian has more variety to work with in that volume. So it's very. That's the thing, too, is Shingo's matches were repetitive. Yeah. And Brian, like he had a five and a half and a six with Osprey. It's just very unique that Brian's out here working (laughs) two biggest promotions in the year for half of the year, pretty much each way, you know, that's really a first for most outstanding wrestler too. And I think that should be rewarded too. kind of his resume yeah. is so, so unique in a way too, but I don't want to take away from Shingo because you did a really good job laying that out. Sure. And it's different. Like if I was to pick somebody in Japan to come work a Brian schedule and make it work to a Brian level, it's probably Zack Sabre. But is he because he's a little bit more versatile in that, that he can kind of work the American style, the TV style a little bit better than a Shingo can. I mean, a Shingo's just going to come in and just beat the shit out of you. Um, I mean, it's I really think the fairest way to look at it is, I mean, Shingo's U.S. equivalent is more so Walter, in my opinion. Because it's, I mean, he's more athletic, but I mean, I feel like Walter can adapt to a main roster style a little bit better than a Shingo would. But ultimately, you're right. I think that Brian's more versatile and he'd be able to kind of actually pull this off more to like Shingo's ballpark than Shingo couldn't his. So for sure. I mean, I just, I wanted to throw a, a kind of a shout at ZSJ too, because he had an awesome year. Uh, he had an awesome match with, with Shingo too. Um, but I just think like a guy like him would be able to work like more of like a versatile Brian style than like a Shingo would. Um, but that's just, I mean, over, if we talk about like a 10 year history, I'll take Danielson over anybody because even though he was out a few years, you still look back at his run. Yeah, exactly. So you're just talking about 2021. I'll throw Shingo out there with Brian, but I completely agree with you. If we're talking about a guy that's more versatile, it's going to be Danielson. Now, historically, 
within this observer award, you nominate three people. Your your highest grade gets a five, your second guy gets a three, and your third guy gets a one. And that's how they accumulate all the points and they decide, you know, who wins each category. So, Mike, if you were to go most outstanding wrestler, Shingo th- one, uh, you know, he's five points. Who would be your number two? Um, like me. just like in just my realm or just overall? Just overall, you got. You, so you, you I would, go. I would actually probably put Danielson one. You know, if I'm actually painting with the brush of everything, um, mm-hmm. I'd probably go Danielson one, Shingo two. I probably would go Saber three and then Gresham. Uh, okay. But I think Gresham was right in line with a Saber um, this year, um, where Saber did a lot of tag stuff. I mean, he had a good G one, but he had a lot of tag stuff with Tai, tai Chi early in the year. Yes. Where a guy like Gresham was like, like we were like I talked about in the first part, like technical was was Gresham because he was pulling four-star pure matches out of guys like Mike Bennett. Like, it's a different... That's a whole different landscape, so he can't be thought of, in my opinion, at the top three, but they're a distant 3-4 to the Brian Shingo. I would give Brian the leg up just because he was able to sports entertain and put on four-and-a-half to five-star matches and then go to AEW and wrestle and do five-star matches. Yeah. Really, I... For my list, the only guy I put on this list is Daniel Bryan. There's no one really in the WWE. They've lost their best, quote-unquote, wrestler for the last three years or beyond that minus his whatever in Daniel Bryan. But then, like you said, I would thought of Walter because he really had two outstanding four and a half star match and a five star match with Ilya four and a half with Chiampa. And then, you know, you would go Johnny, but he doesn't really have the resume nor does in AJ's and fucking tag team universe. So those are the guys I thought about. What about about Rollins? I thought of Rollins too, but it's his stuff. I just think of the two edge matches. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. His peak is more sports entertainment this year than in-ring. But don't get me wrong. He's definitely in my discussion. I just don't think – he has so much volume that in his volume doesn't really weigh up to the average of all those guys I would mention in the past. But if you want to yeah. give him a sympathy, one, sure, but he would get one point from me. Like I said, I wanted to think Walter, but there's only two matches on that resume that I can really include. Homie's on vacation all year. I wanted to go AJ because he's yeah. he, he would definitely warrant it. But one, he's old, and two, he's in the tag team with almost all fucking year. And then I kind of want to go Kyle O'Reilly too. I was just ask, I was just gonna ask what about Kyle O'Reilly because I, he, I was looking at his stuff. Yeah, and... fantastic resume, but really it's it's NXT and his Cole stuff was underwhelming to me. And they, but his best match, his, the technical match that I talked about last podcast against Cole. You know, that's why I gave him the technical nod. So those are the kind of guys I thought about. And I don't know. It's hard to. But then again, Eller, I didn't really have NXT to work off of. I just kind of grabbed from them because I gave them the mic. So he had more to work with. That's why I went with Danielson. And I think it should be Danielson after kind of laying it all out really quickly here, just to kind of look towards like the future here. What kind of guys do you guys in your in the WWE and AEW landscape that are ready to go to that next level that they might be in this conversation next year? I'll go first, Mike, including the pushes that they should get or including the pushes that they're going to get. Yeah, I mean, real realistically, you think that there's somebody in WWE or AEW that we could be to this level next year. Well, Ilya, if Ilya is going to come over and they're going to highlight him, absolutely. Uh, well, Kyle just left. <laughs> um, if Walter comes to the main roster all day, every day, if they took the breaks off Drew, maybe, and let him go out there and be a worker bee. But I don't think they're going to do that. Hey, AJ's prime for a, a babyface run, hopefully, maybe, but he's old. And then Rollins, maybe Rollins is in that coming up, and maybe he gets more serious into 2022. Maybe some of those guys I'm thinking of, 
Johnny, if he come Gargano, if he comes back and they just give him that 2010, 2011 Daniel Bryan mid card push and sees where it goes and just let him go destroy the mid card and have bangers. Those are some of the guys that come off the top of my mind, but it's kind of hard. Think of that. Think of a guy excelling like that in the WWE structure. Eller, who are you thinking for AEW? For AEW, I would go Hangman. I, I think Paige is really putting it together. I think he could be sometimes a little bit sloppy, and sometimes the matches get a little bit... My problem with Paige is sometimes his matches can... I don't want to say, like, are boring, but there's just a lot of... Maybe a lot of slowness, or maybe a lot of times during the match where I'm like, uh, you know, maybe I'm, like, not paying... Like, I'm just kind of dozing off because it's like nothing's happening. But if he can, like, really put it together, like we've seen in in a lot of his big matches, I think that's possible. Adam Cole is another one. I mean, he was the guy in NXT for three years, and he always delivered in main events. And with the thing with Cole, though, he like, and the thing with a lot of the guys, these guys in the elite, they like, they have a lot of really good matches. Like, they have a ton of four star matches. But it's Adam Cole and the elite versus Jurassic Express and Christian, or you know, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole versus, uh, you know, just they're always six man or eight man tags. Yeah, it's that and NJPW I, system that they got for filler. Yeah, really. They're awesome matches, but like I don't know necessarily penalize them, but I don't know if you reward them. But if Cole is more in singles programs and he kind of takes control of this Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish crew um, and really becomes like the head of everything and you see him more in big singles matches, I definitely think he has a possibility. Just throwing this out there, another guy on your side, WWE, I was just so impressed with Kevin Owens at the beginning of like especially the first hat part of 2021 and i really i really feel bad that that guy didn't get like you know he was in that stupid thunderdome for forever long when he was having those great matches um that's something i would you know so uh wanted to throw his name out there too yeah he's more of a like a brawler or like a but yeah he, he can go out there and have that honestly oh i would say a dark dark horse depending his push and he just resigned you know rumor is he just resigned and in his, and who knows how with his age, and who knows how much with his character work. But if can you imagine if they took the brakes off Sammy and this conspiracy went somewhere, and he was just like this hot ass baby face, and he went out there and kind of channeled 2014 Sammy, you know, fantasy booking and being a little optimistic. But that's another guy as like a dark, dark, dark horse. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, that was actually who I was. I was hoping that you would say is Owens because. I, and then to Sammy, even to that extent, too, is I could really see them being like, all right, so we paid these guys. Let's see what we got. And then kind of really letting them kind of do their thing more so than they've been able to, um, at least from a bell to bell standpoint. And especially when you look at Sammy, that that SmackDown roster, while they're working on obviously building a bridge and they're working on building up Sheamus to like with bridge, you know, and then Cesaro's kind of falling off. They kind of need a guy that's going to be their workhorse guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about how, you know, Gargano would fit in great there, but Zane, right, he does have the opportunity to kind of really blow that roster up and be the guy. Yeah, that'd be great. Right below Roman if they decide to go that route. It's just hard to really bank on that, though, just looking at him. I vibe love him. I gave him most charismatic for 2021. I think his character work is outstanding. His best match of last year was that no-holds-barred money-in-the-bank qualifier with Kevin Owens. I went four and a quarter and then in an empty Thunderdome last man standing. Or was it no hold bars? But one of the gimmicks. But it was fucking outstanding, really. I won five on that. <laughs> I, I think you're a little more liberal with the fives there, Eller. The storytelling on that and the callbacks to like their like, Owens first day in NXT. 
I, I freaking loved it. Just settings wise, it was hard for me to get there. You know, you're in the Thunderdome. It's a Money in the Bank qualifier, and it's a SmackDown main event. So it was there, but you know, and like you had your commercials, and you're like, is this really gonna go this far? And it just kept excelling, excelling, excelling. And I think I maxed out a four and a quarter. I would definitely give it another look and see if I can get higher. But yeah, I just it definitely sticks out. Both of those guys are definitely capable. It's just if they would get the booking and the structure to kind of excel is the is the problem or the holdup. Sure. Now, um, Ross, you got anyone else, or should we hit the history of the most outstanding wrestler in the past? Yeah, no, I really don't. I mean, I kind of spoke to them anyways. I mean, the only guy that I think that could probably turn up to that level is like a Jay White, um, who he had a really good year, too. When you look at the Japan side, I don't think he's ever going to be held to the same regard in ring as the other guys. Um, and he's, I mean, in the, if he was in the U.S., he'd be one of the best guys on either roster. But um, with Japan, it's a little different. Um, and then, you know, Gresham's the guy that I really got my eye on for 2022. Yeah, Gresham. I'd like to see what happens with his promotion. What's it? It's, it has a weird name. What is it? Like Tencel? What is it? Um, you had that. Yeah. I'm close. It's something like that. I don't remember. Um, it's something. But what's cool about him is that he just got announced to defend the, the ROH title at um on Impact um at like an Impact pay per view coming up, and then he's defending it at GCW. So. Yeah, it's going to be like pretty much like an independent title right now. And like, obviously, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see if it ends up on an AEW show. He has a chance to be kind of early 2021 Kenny Omega, where he's traveling around doing the belt thing, the touring champion, the old flair, and kind of just lay, laying his fucking flag everywhere. So Gresham could be a, definitely a good pick for this in 2022, for sure. Yeah, past winners here. We got 2020 Kenny Omega with All Elite Wrestling. And then we have 19 Osprey. 18 Omega, 17 Okada, 15, 16, and 14 Styles, 13 and 12 Tanahashi, Davy Richards with 11, and then Brian Danielson, 06 to 10, Joe Angle, Benoit in the early 2000s, Mazawa, Mysterio, Toyota, Kabashi, Liger forever, Flair early. So, you know, rock stars, Hall of Famers throughout, and Davy Richards. So, this is a, definitely a fun, fun category. And I like how it differs from how it's just in ring instead of whole package. Because when you go whole package, it's it gets way more subjective and there's way more to work with. And all right, guys. Completely next, agree. Yeah, the next category yeah, we're sure. going to go with here is best promo of the year. Mike Eller, best promo for AEW 2021. Who you got? I went with, uh, I don't think this is going to be like, a surprise, but best promo I went with MJF. Like the main thing, you know, he does a lot of the same things. Like, you know, I'm better than you. I have so much money. Um, you're mid, <laughs> which I guess is an insult. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could use that like on, on anybody and they would understand that, but he just uses it so well. He's the fucking man. Go on. He, he is. And he does. Again, it can be repetitive, but he makes you care about, like, feuds. Like, Darby Allen's great. Darby Allen's really he, – he's over with the crowd. He does a lot of crazy things. If it's not for MJF really building that up and really getting – basically doing Darby's job by making him the sympathetic babyface throughout that feud, do you really care about that? It, just with the, the Chris Jericho stuff, how important he was to that feud. Because, you know, I do like Jericho, may, definitely maybe more than you, Ryan. But it just, like, <laughs> sometimes he can be a little bit much. Um, See, I think that was MJF's worst stuff this year. He carried Jericho, in my opinion. I think it went on too yeah. long, whatever. But continue. MJF definitely warrants this. So enough about Jericho. <laughs> and with the Punk stuff, you know, like, Punk's first promo back in Chicago is great. 
And then we kind of saw the happy to be here stuff, and that kind of kept going. And he's gotten the best out of Punk now, or he's maybe not the best out of Punk, definitely not the best out of Punk, but he's gotten Punk to start to change his game. And we're seeing more of the CM Punk that everybody loved in WWE 2009 to till he left in 2013. Just like the fact that he can build, like with his mic work, he can create so many great things. And I mean, again, he's going to win this probably many, many, for many, many years. I don't really have a close two. You know, Kenny Omega is the world champion and for a majority of the year. And, you know, MJF is over 10 years younger than him and he's way better on the mic than him. They're in like really good, AEW's in really good hands with with MJF. And, you know, bringing upon that four pillars and everything like that was really cool. And, you know, pretty much made other people, other baby faces a star because of bigger stars because of that four pillars thing. That's what I was going to say. MJF's brought everyone up to his level and to believe that he's at that level at what, 24, 25 years old is pretty incredible. He's a special talent and he's going to be a rock star for the next 10, 15 years, hopefully. Unless if he keeps doing dives to the outside and breaks his neck. Yeah. And I, <laughs> like you know, last night. <laughs> like last night. Um, yeah, I thought he was. Yeah, I just want to add like one night. other. Sorry, what, what made that so scary while we're on the MJF thing is that he gets thrown, dumped on his head, and then Sting next Sting thing you know, right Sting's on. climbing the top rope. I'm like, oh no. And I was like, what are we doing here with MJF? Come on. Sorry, um, Mike. We keep yeah, interrupting I, you, but MJF's great. We can't help ourselves. Yeah, I and I just wanted to add, you know, I've got like uh, my brother in law, he just started watching wrestling this year, and he just like the one guy who stands out with him is MJF. And like I've had like friends who are casual friends who got back, you know, maybe started watching a lot more year this year. And the one guy they always bring up is MJF. So um, he's crossing that line too. I'm curious, how old is your brother-in-law? He is 25. And he's, is he a former wrestling fan just getting back into it? Or is this like his first time ever just watching? Brand new. Brand new. Oh, wow. Never, never been a fan before. And he gravitated to uh, Maxwell Jacob Freeman. I was very curious. That's why I asked. Very cool. <laughs> now, now, Eller, before we jump off AEW, would CM Punk be number two for you here? Yeah. Um, again, I know he hasn't even done his best stuff. Like, I mean, his stuff with, you know, in the past, like his stuff with Rock in 2013 or the Pipe Dom in 2011 and things I've seen from Ring of Honor in 2005. Like, we're not at that level yet. I think Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson was, has been very, very good as a heel in the last couple months. But again, it's been like a month, a month and a half of that. So Punk's promo, his return promo in AEW at that Rampage at, in August, like that was so big and so good yeah. that that over you know it's like not to steal from another podcast idea but that's like you know a babe ruth 1923 season or barry bonds 2001 season or something like that like it's it's that important that it has that much weight now and, do you think because i agree that that moment may tweak the voters to go punk promo of the year just because that moment was so big where mjf would have the resume mm. It's it's that's interesting. You know what I mean? That's definitely interesting. We'll see when that comes mm-hmm. about in February for WWE. Uh, I, I personally believe that this category w- should go to an AEW wrestler and my vote would be MJF or CM Punk, probably MJF due to volume. But if you want to vote for CM Punk just on that moment, emotion and the seven years building up to that return and having it deliver but like you said a few minutes ago, Punk's going to be at his best when he gets personal. He's starting to get personal with MJF. That jab that they had about a month ago to start this feud was historically great and will be historically remembered. 
CM Punk shines, but I, I mean, MJF might have outshined him, but CM, but MJF was designed to outshine him in a way too. So that's hard to give the nudge to MJF there when CM Punk was kind of giving him more than whatever. But CM Punk, 100% delivered in that moment too. But enough about AEW, because I'm the WWE mark. I get it. So promo of the year, I have two guys here. It's tough for me to decide, but I'm gonna go one. Uh, Roman Reigns. Here's the thing with Roman Reigns, he was he always like a negative baby face it's like this guy would be a great heel he never he's always like 60 percent there as a baby face he can't go a full hundred he's missing something you know his only memorable baby face promo was when he the night after he defeated the undertaker and he sat in the ring and did nothing for 10 minutes besides say this is my yard that's the only true true moment where he was like wow on the stick and he was, it was all presence, and it was all charisma, and it was all star power, and he's exuding that right now. The whole acknowledge me thing, tribal chief, he has his catchphrases or whatever, it's down, it's formulaic, but it works. His, like I don't want to say his entrance is a part of his promo, but it's a part of his act, which really elevated him this year. I went Roman over Edge, but if you were to go resume-wise, say if I was to take the 10 best promos of the year in the WWE. I feel like Edge would be five of them, six of them, maybe even to fit, putting a button on the early Randy stuff to the Roman stuff. That was a little hit or miss. It wasn't his best stuff, but he was very good within it. Promo wise delivery was fantastic. It was meaningful. No words wasted. And he was straight to the point in everything. He really excelled with Seth. He put over Seth. Seth was very kind of directionless. Seth would be throwing shit at the wall, constantly trying to catch his groove, trying to catch what he had in past. And he was spinning his wheels and kind of going nowhere with it. And Edge really grounded him. Edge put him in the right direction. Edge put him up for success in 2022. And most of that was due to promos. They had a hell of a catalog in ring too, but they got there in ring due to their promos. And those promos really come down to Edge. Like, Edge has been an actor the last seven or eight years since retirement or whatever. He has, you know, really honed this skill of promo in acting. If we want to go resume, I would say probably Edge. But if we want to go overall aura, overall meaningfulness, kind of little draw money, draw ratings, it's Roman Reigns, and promo is his best game right now. And that's hard to believe, because the trump card this whole time was... If Roman turns heel, they got something like he is. So they're like WWE like at top is so frustrating. They have got good stuff throughout the card, but up top, they are so frustrating. They're they're holding guys back because they're force feeding Roman. And only if he fucking turned heel and then for it to deliver the last 18 months has been really a staple to Roman Reigns. So I'm going Roman Reigns edge close second. If we were doing points here, I give them both four. If you get what I mean. But anyways, enough about the WWE. It's MJF or CM Punk. Rossi, who you got? I'm going with a guy that um, I just mentioned when we were talking a little bit about 2022 and a guy that I never really saw as a promo guy, but he kicked off 2021 in a way that I really thought kind of set the stage for the rest of his year. And that was uh, Switchblade Jay White. This is a guy that never really was able to, you know, cut the crazy promos. He was always just kind of that bullet club leader and he kind of went the way of his own, even though he was still in the bullet club this year, we go back to wrestle kingdom when he, he lost to Ibushi. Um, 
he cuts this, and this was when all the rumors were happening that he was, you know, going to head to America. He was going to go to WWE. I mean, everybody was was talking about it. I never even think that it was close to happening, but everybody seemed to be talking about it because there was rumors that his contract was ending. He cut this incredible promo after Wrestle Kingdom. He referenced himself by his real name at one point. He just had this defeated thought to him. Um, everything that he said was like self-deprecating. Um, he like took his his um, tape off his wrist and like laid on the floor as he was cutting the promo. This is a promo that everybody's got to go out of the way to see if they haven't seen it. Um, honestly, just Google like Jay White um, post Wrestle Kingdom 2021 and you'll find it. Um, it's it's one of the best promos of the year um, as far as like a singular promo. And he kind of grew off that. Every feud that he was in for the remainder of the year, um, whether it was Tanahashi, whether it was with David Finley, whether it was with, you know, when he came into Impact, he really kind of grew off of that and continued to hone in that craft of his. And now I think he's one of the better promo guys in the business. He entered into... I just saw this the other day. He entered into an impact slot that wasn't originally set for him, um, but he took control of it and kind of made impact interesting for a couple of months. He came over to the U.S. for an excursion and continued doing great promos on, on New Japan Strong, which, again, is a promo, is a show that not enough people watch, um, but he does good work when he is on there. And I thought he had a really good, really, really good year as far as like promo skills goes, and it made me see even more star in him than I saw before because I always saw him as a good bell-to-bell guy that was kind of lacking charisma for a while. Over the years, he's just grown. And over the years, he's enhanced what he's been able to do outside of the ring. So now his in-ring is even more interesting than it ever has been because of that. Um, So I think Jay White was overall, out of the WWE and AEW, the guy that had the best overall promos. Osprey was good, too, as his heel character but not to the level Jay White was. Um, and I think that for a guy that's speaking English to cut such incredible promos in Japan really shows, you know, that he can be a star elsewhere. And if he ever decides to go elsewhere, he will thrive in that area. So, and now again, I'm not going to compare him to MJF or Punk. I think that those are the clear one, two in the industry right now. But the one, one person I kind of want to give a shout to that hasn't been mentioned yet is Britt Baker. Now in talking about Britt Baker, it's kind of different than, than Jay White. Jay White came in as, as somebody that had the in-ring and he had to kind of find the promo. I feel like Britt Baker developing a character and being able to hone in on her mic skills and, and make that character make sense gave her the confidence to become a better in-ring performer. And I think she wrestles circles now around where she was even in January of this year. She still has some duds. She still has some clunkers. But I still find her five-minute promo on Dynamite every week to want be one of the most must-watch parts of the show. And she's somebody that really got herself over with her mic skills and just with a, what is seemingly a stupid catchphrase. D M. Um, but I think Britt Baker is the one that hasn't been mentioned yet that I wanted to throw a bone to. Yeah, that's a that's a really good call, with Britt Baker. I'd even consider her not to be sexist or whatever, but you don't think of women when your promos and really her character work kind of save, save and solidified. I don't want to say save, but it really solidified that women's division that was kind of oof for a while. So. That's a really good point, Mike. Good call. Look at, at Britt Baker. Like, as the year, just real quick to, to pony that up, like, where she started, she was having matches. Like, she had the Thunder Rosa match, and then she kind of took the character for there. Then she still had some stinkers. Then she had a really good match with Statlander, I think, at All Out, and she's been pretty consistent since then. I wasn't a big fan of the Tay Conti match at um, whatever the last pay-per-view was, Full Gear, but a lot of people liked it, so who am I? So I think that she's someone that grew up the, that area, so I'm excited that we were able to mention her. Yeah, we'll get maybe we'll get to her a little later in the show too. So are we in agreement here that it's MJF Punk and then is MJ Punk one two? Is that our agreement? And then it's kind yeah. of subjective. If you want to go one over Punk, I can see your case, but it's probably one or two with those. Now who would you guys go three off the WWE list, or would you go Jay White? 
I would go Edge. Edge, okay. I personally go Edge. I just love his. Again, you th- you brought up a great point about his acting. He was on so, like a bunch of different shit, what Vikings or something like that, and yeah, he yeah. was on some sci-fi show. He, I don't know, like he again, he makes you care about his matches, and he bounced a little bit as a heel at the beginning of WrestleMania. I don't want to go too far into it. I know you already brought him up, yeah. but I, I really loved his stuff. Cool, Rossi. Anyone quick for third? No, I mean, I would say MJF. I would say MJF one and Punk two, but I think that 2022 might flip that because MJF kind of is the shock guy. Um, And I feel like after a while, he's going to be the one that gets a better promo out of other people. And I feel like Punk is just going to continue to shine in that area. Well, he might, MJF will never become stale, but it can be kind of repetitive. So I think that you'll might see a little bit more of that in 2022, where a guy like Punk is a little bit more resilient and can be a heel in Long Island. You know what I mean? Um, where MJF, I don't think he's coming out and cutting a big time babyface promo anywhere yet. So I think Punk does a little bit more, but I think 2021 was the year of MJF on the mic. Cool, for sure. All right, so some of the qu- past winners here. 2020, Eddie Kingston. 2019, fucking Jericho, stop it. 2018, Daniel Bryan. Yeah, that's kind of flawed. But 15, 16, 17, McGregor. Heyman, 13, 14. Punk again when he's active. 11 and 12. Ch- Chael Sonnen, Jericho in 08 and 09. That's warranted. Cena in 07. Foley in 06 for those three months. Interesting. All right, that's cool. Actually, hey, Foley with a little bit of love, too, uh, in the early 2000s. But, yeah, that's cool. All right, the next category we got here is Tag Team of the Year. Mike Eller, AEW's Tag Team of the Year. Who you got? Uh, AEW Tag Team of the Year. I went with the Young Bucks, and that might, maybe to some that would be obvious, but their team that I didn't, I haven't always loved, and I really didn't buy their babyface act, and I just thought it was really almost turn off the TV sometimes. It just was like, all right, this is just so weird. And like, what's good. Like it just, it was not entertaining me that at all. Um, they've really stepped it up with their heel work in terms of like their matches, you know, well, a match that we'll definitely, I'll probably talk about a little bit later, but their match against the Lucha brothers at AEW all out, um, was really phenomenal. And I said it earlier on part one, but it was like a, a match that I had really high expectations going into, um, ended up being even way better than I expected. Um, they've also, one thing that I want to prop out the, the bucks for is they've been pretty active all year. So it, in February, they, on a dynamite, they had like a, a match. I gave four stars to, to Santana Ortiz. They had a really good match at, uh, a show I ripped on her uh, a while ago. Um, I think the best match of the show with MJF and Jericho. Again, they're in a lot of six man matches, which are, you know, still really entertaining. I don't mean to like knock them too much. They, ha- I really enjoyed like at least the storytelling um, back in May of um, the young bucks versus SCU where SCU had a breakup if they lose. And, uh, you know, Kazarian has been doing this like random elite hunter thing for the last six and a half months or whatever. They're my choice. Um, I, I didn't. I don't want to just like run down every single match they've had. You know, this is like in terms of just like in ring match quality, it's got to be like one of the best years that like any wrestling tag teams ever had. Um, in terms of just the amount of good matches, one of the things too is, and I, I know you've brought this up, Brian. Like you know, tag team. You know, like on a SmackDown, you're not a tag team's not going to have like a four star tag team match every single week or whatnot, or that's like, or definitely not on a Raw. Um, so you're not going to see that. You probably haven't. We haven't seen that on TV much in the last you know 20 years or so. I, I definitely think they have a strong case for one of the best in ring years really ever for a tag team. 
And I think that they're in, at least in AEW, I have them as a clear cut number one. Um, FTR has been really good, but they, you know, they, you know, with uh, Cash, uh, not what Cash Wheeler, <laughs> with him, <laughs> uh, with him getting hurt for a little bit, I didn't think that they were nearly at that level. Um, throwing, I, I wanted to throw some to. Jurassic Express, mainly because I think Jungle Boy is awesome and it's going to be a huge star. Um, the Lucha Brothers obviously, you know, takes two teams to tango, um, and they've had they had that great match with the Bucks um, and have been tag team champions for the last almost four months now. So uh, AEW definitely has a stacked stacked tag team, but I think the Bucks were, oh, you know, this was their best year in AEW so far. Yeah, um, they might have match of the year within AEW with that cage match against the Lucha Brothers. Not sure why it warranted a cage, but it delivered. So, But Young Bucks would, is definitely a strong candidate for this, and honestly, they should be every year, as they have been since 2015, really, or 14. For the WWE side, I think it's easy for me. I think it's RK-Bro. Um, I considered the Usos. I just consider the Street Profit off just off work rate stuff with the Street Profits and Usos just being connected to the bloodline and really elevating their star power. But their resume is kind of flat. And then you have the New Day, too, who's always solid and has great resume, too, every year. But I think it's hard to not go RK-Bro here. Really, coming out of WrestleMania, Randy was toast, no pun intended. Um there, it was he was in that Bray Wyatt feud since the fall of t- fucking 2020, and it was herky jerky, and it was fucking wrestling Alexa Bliss, and it was just really bad. It's just like really really bad Thunderdome WWE, and unfortunately he was a part of it, and he needed a fresh coat of paint. And WrestleMania weekend they pulled a quick U-turn and had him go over on Bray and then kind of go in another direction with Bray. We didn't know that direction was going to be a release, but you know, Randy Orton is bulletproof, honestly, but he was kind of watered down. He was, he needed to spark, no pun intended again. So that spark was a charismatic singles wrestler in Matt Riddle and they have unbelievable chemistry. They don't get the best material, but Matt Riddle makes it work. Their their match resume isn't fantastic, but it's solid. They deliver in pretty much everything, but like you said earlier, they're not really in a spot to deliver classic matches. I'm sure they'll have one or two, but they're not really in a spot week to week to have them. Riddle's a future star, and this tag team could propel him to the next level as it should, and historically, I think it's going to way out very very well so character wise promo wise charisma wise even work rate wise this is the home run that kind of was a happy coincidence too because like at wrestlemania riddle was coming off the sheamus feud where he lost and he needed a bump and this was his bump and he's riding high so I'm looking forward to his future. 2022 could be his year, too. He's one of those guys who could have a great year, and it could be coming off a few that was led to a great year of tag team wrestling. I'm good to hear. It should be RK-Bro for the WWE. Rossi, who you got? I mean, I'm never going to be in the conversation here, to be honest with you. There isn't really huge tag teams. I mean, the Briscoes are great, but they didn't really do much tag team work this year until the later half. Um, so I'm rolling MX, MSK. Um, I feel like in going NXT, I mean, these guys had five um, – Legitimate you know, mid mid four to high four star matches this year, um, mostly on really the takeovers. But there's been the, yeah. yeah, 
yeah, so they had a really good, really good first half of the year, and and they never really had a bad match. Um, they kind of were the transition of 2020 to 2021, and they kind of took off running from there. They they kind of kept the work rate feel of NXT going as the as they transitioned over the 2.0. And yes, they quickly lost the titles in the 2.0, but they've remained a steady part of the TV programming, and they kind of let Imperium breathe a little bit without them, you know, haunting them. Um, and now it seems like, you know, with Riddle involved with that, that might be a way to transition Walter back into the States. They're going to be doing something like that. But overall, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and compare the merits of MSK to the Young Bucks. It's just not going to happen. But I will probably put them up there with, like, the RK Bros as far as in-ring goes. But then, again, RK Bro literally carried Raw for six months. I can't say that with MSK. They're always kind of like a bit act that had the best match of the show most of the time in NXT. But they, they had a really strong year. Um, and I think they scream main roster potential. Whether it happens, I don't know. Um, I'm sure, I don't know how the Riddle thing is going to turn out with them now, um, if that's a good way to transition them up once um, Orton and, and Riddle do the split. But, you know, MSK had a, had a hell of a year, and I really – I mean, I can talk about Shingo – I mean, I'm sorry, Taichi and um, Osprey in Japan, but the, the Japanese wrestling scene is so poor – tag wrestling scene right now is so poor that they're never going to fit into this category. So MSK all the way for me. Yeah, I'm really. I had MSK in parentheses too, and I forgot to get to it. So I'm really glad you get to it. Like you said, it's you can lay out their resume. It's fantastic, and it's it's in the mid fours for at least the six, first six or seven months of this year. Um, it's great. I think that these three teams should be the top three teams of the year. Uh, MSK is probably third. I think that the Young Bucks are probably going to squeak out the vote over Riddle and Orton. I I would make a case for Riddle and Orton. But I don't think the wrestling observer readers would are here for it. But um, I think the, these three are definitely the top three teams of the years. Seven out of the last eight years, it has been the Young Bucks by these voters. Uh, the Shield in 13, uh, Bad Influence, Kings of Wrestling, fucking, oh my god, 2008, Miz and Morrison. Uh, Los Guerreros in 02, that's wrong. You know, but whatever. That's for another day. Maybe Jake, exclusively aggressive podcast, can give that some love one day. Edging Christian in 2000. Pretty cool stuff here, historical wise. Um, our next category is MMA. Mike Rossi, you have five minutes with the clock starting now. Give us a rundown on MMA. So super quick. I mean, we're going to talk about most valuable, most outstanding um, fighter in MMA match of the year. Um, so I'll start off with uh, match of the year or fight of the year. Um, and that was Max Holloway and Calvin Qatar back in January of 2021. This was actually on ABC, which was cool about it. And they had just a hell of a fight. Um, five rounds. Uh, it was a unanimous decision. Holloway you know, pretty much mopped them. It was like 50-43, 50-42. Um, but it was so entertaining, top to bottom. I mean, it was in Abu Dhabi. The crowd sucked. There was like 2,000 people there. But they just beat the hell of each other for you know 25 minutes, and the thing ruled. Um, and then outstanding MMA. I mean, Kamara Usman. Um, three title defenses in a single year, um, and he fought guys like Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, and um, Gilbert Ryder as, as they have, and, you know, I don't know who's going to beat that guy. I mean, he's just that good. Um, and then I'm going to go a little bit longer with most valuable. Most valuable is a guy that has won one fight in five years, and that's Conor McGregor. Um, he fought twice this year, um, and he had the third and fourth biggest UFC buy rates ever. Uh, so 1.5 million back in January, and then 1.6 million in July. Um, and then when you think about the fact he's at the third and the fourth biggest in a year that he really was the underdog in both fights, he's got one of the most um, biggest buy rate fights there. So this guy's the star of, of MMA, and it's the, the juice is running out of that orange, though, because um, 
he's got to win his next fight or, you know, he'll still have entertaining, you know, built fights, but once the bell rings, he just doesn't have it anymore. Um, but, but Dana White's got to milk that cow for as long as they can. Um, and, you know, Con- I could say Conor McGregor for best promo of the year, most charismatic of the year, and he would win. Um, that's how big of a star this guy is. And he makes so much money just by running his, his, his mouth. Um, and, you know, that's such an art that I think will continue to make him millions and millions of dollars for as long as he wants to be in the public um, frame. Um, I mean, think about what two, three years from now, a fight with Jake Paul would do. Um, I mean, if, if Jake Paul keeps winning, maybe that's the ultimate end goal for both of them. I mean, that would probably be three million pay-per-view buys by then. So yeah, we'll see that. what happens with him in the future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll see what happens to him in the future. But ultimately, in 2022, he'll have another fight. I mean, whether they give him a cupcake or Diaz or something, he's going to be back and he's going to probably have a top five fight again um, as far as buy rate goes. So um, this guy's got a shot if he does four more fights having the top 10 ever um, as far as buy rates go. And that's impressive for a guy that everybody talks about is washed up. Um, he still is an intriguing fighter. He's still the most valuable piece that Dana has. And I think Dana looks at his 2022 and he figures out when Connor's fighting and then he puts everything else together after that. And this is a guy that's coming off a leg that he just destroyed in a fight in July. So I'd expect him back by the summer. Maybe you can get two, two fights out of him this year. But, you know, the, all the guy does is bring cash and he keeps Dana White afloat a lot of times. And, you know, Dana, like I said, starts with him and works from there. So um, we'll see what happens moving forward. But um, that's it. I think I went under five. I think you went well, well under five. Job, you know, job well done. Hey, <laughs> part of this, you know, this process for the Observer. And Mike is an MMA fan, so Mike, thank you for doing that for us. That was cool. Next category we got here is Feud of the Year. Uh, this is an interesting one. Eller, who do you have for Feud of the Year for AEW? For Feud of the Year, I went with the Elite as a group versus Hangman Adam Page. You know, I know they took a little bit of a break with Paige, you know, taking time off with his wife having a baby. But uh, I just thought it did a they did a really good job of letting it build. Um, I know that they wanted to kind of pay it off maybe at um, AW All Out. But with that happening, they stretched to, to full gear. Uh, just like all of it, you know, it started out as really Hangman and Omega really not liking each other. And then starting in the spring you have you know the young bucks turning heel and they did a good job of like really making them assholes and like really building that up and throwing in the dark order where they become you know they become Paige's new buddies and they like you know he can't just get his ass kicked like five on one every week uh so they have like they they gave him somebody to be with but they're not like his stable or anything like that. They're friend, they're friends of his, um, which I thought was really cool and added a nice element. It all built extremely well going into like, you know, going right into the the title switch where um, the young bucks stayed heel, but you know, they had the agreement, you know, page cost the bucks a match, the bucks cost page a match. They're even. And uh, when Paige went for the win with the buckshot lariat, you know, each Jackson just kind of gave him a head nod, uh, you know, do your thing. Um, I thought that was a really nice touch. Omega's gone for a while, pretty much ended it full gear. They could have hot shotted it. They could have gone too fast or they could have done something. They could have had Omega win again. And then they just like keep having Paige lose and lose and lose and kind of look like, you know, eventually I was worried he might become like a Lex Luger where he always loses. They did right by everybody in this one. I think it might be the best feud they've had. And, you know, I, I know they've only been around for like two years, but um, I think it was very well done. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's it has to be their feud of the year, I think, and I agree with that. They're a company that doesn't really have feuds. They don't have a set match. They have just, like, mini programs, which is fine. It's a good formula, but it's, like, last year, I think the feud of the year was Moxley versus um, Kingston, and wasn't it, like, six weeks? You know what I mean? So it's good that this one has actual volume to it. It, you did a good job explaining it, and, and honestly, it warrants it. It makes it good for discussion. On the WWE side, there was one and a half feuds that I mulled over. One's a real feud, and the other one's the center of a TV show. So the first one is the center of the TV show. It's Roman Reigns and the Bloodline versus the WWE. It's Roman Reigns feuding, elevating, and bringing up a shitload of wrestlers. If it's Cesaro, if it's Brian, if it's Edge, if it's... KO earlier in whoever, you know, he elevated these guys and single out one of these feuds. It's, it's kind of hard for me to do because his best feud has been Brock Lesnar, but the acting with Heyman, the, the story has been fantastic between them. The match was great too in Saudi. It's just kind of hard to kind of staple that. And the feud I ended up going with, I kind of, I don't want to say it trumped it, because that was an outstanding feud, but I think it warrants feud of the year, and that's Edge versus Seth Rollins, believe it or not. Uh, I got into it a little earlier, how, you know, Edge is the promo of the year, and how he kind of elevated Seth, but he really did, and it started around June, when Seth was, I don't want to say directionless, but he was starting to become obsessed with the Universal title, and his way of getting at the Universal title, after kind of skating around it all, the previous year, because Roman held it, but he was skating around it in the upper mid card and kind of alluding to it once in a while and testing his waters around Roman, but being a little friendly, assuming that that Roman and Seth was the match that they were building up to eventually, and they could still be eventually, but for now, he didn't get it, and his route was money in the bank. He's coming off a feud where he pretty much put over Cesaro and elevated Cesaro up to that universal level. You know, and he really kind of built up some goodwill there with the fans where he was kind of getting shit on the last two years because his herky-jerky and his nonsense and his eyeball bullshit and all the bullshit Seth Rollins has gone through the last two years with The Fiend and Ray and all that shit and kind of figuring out his new character. But Seth was unsuccessful with winning that Money in the Bank match, so he saw Edge as jumping the line. And he was dropping seeds of that while he was kind of hovering around the universal title. Like, Edge, who are you? You're a part-timer. You're dropping in, coming in across as entitled, when Seth is really the entitled one in his own mind. So there was warrant for him to go after Edge. Because with his delusional mind, with his delusional character, he felt that Edge was stealing his opportunity. Even though he just had enough money in the bank ladder match, he pivoted and went after Edge by costing him his main event title match that night with Roman. I like how he did it. You know, he interfered twice. He interfered and Edge started coming and he whacked him. Knocked him off guard and he kind of disappeared a little bit. And then as soon as Edge was going to win, Rollins jumped in and fucked him. And it was done very well. And that was a precursor to this feud that they kind of do things off the beaten path a little bit. Like, this feud started off with Seth alluding to that he should have finished Edge in, in 2014 when he had a chance. With that kind of weird angle with the authority where I'm going to curb stomp Edge on his broken neck if you don't reinstate Triple H. And then Cena reinstates him. And it was a little wonky, but they tied that into here. And they did a great job by doing that. Again, with, like, Seth attacking Edge during a commercial break 
early on was something that the WWE doesn't do. So they were taking chances here and made this really unusual and pretty cool and stand out. Edge makes an entrance during the commercial break. Rollins attacks him and that uh, Rollins is there in the ring ready to cut the promo. And in the promo, he states that he should have taken out Edge 14 years ago and blah, 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 blah. And it was a callback. So the following week, Edge is back referring to Seth as Edge Light. And they give all these examples. And then you're like, holy shit, their rise in their career really do mirror. So there's a lot of nuance there. It was very cool. You know, referring to Seth, how Edge was the first one to cash in many of the bank, but Seth did it better. He did it on the grandest stage. Edge won the Royal Rumble twice, but Seth won the Royal Rumble and actually won at WrestleMania. And how Edge in the brood, but Seth was in a better stable, a more impactful stable, the Shield. So they're doing like the Edge light stuff. And that really kind of transitioned into Edge being like, I know this character and I know how to beat him. And it's kind of about outsmarting him and really getting him in a spot at SummerSlam where he kind of does outsmart him a little bit, you know? And he gets the upper hand, beats Seth at SummerSlam. That kind of puts Rollins on a, like a tizzy. And then Rollins fuels his inner edge, which kind of puts another layer. And, you know, I don't want to, and I don't want to forget that, you know, it brought us that beautiful brood entry at SummerSlam. And that was a very cool moment and added to the recipe of this feud too, with all the callbacks and whatever. So after this, Rollins started referring to himself, brought out the edge, brought out the inner edge in him. And he got more aggressive and they had a match at MSG, he went after his neck, and he was going to end Edge. And he didn't want to settle the score by going 1-1 in the feud. He wanted to end Edge's career, which led to the curb stomp that, you know, quote-unquote, put Edge on a stretcher, put Edge in the ambulance. And then after that, Seth kind of snapped into a concerning, unsure feeling. He was interviewed, and he was unsure, and he asked the interviewer, was like, he was kind of like, I don't know, like, what happened? Like, what do you think happened? And then he kind of put him in a tizzy, but he br- snapped out of that tizzy and got really focused and he wanted to win this feud. He realized that he was tied 1-1 and he got to a level where he got uncomfortable, but he wasn't sure if he could really get to the next level to end Edge. He got to a level where he was calling Edge out and Edge was responding and he figured that he ended Edge. So... He got to the point where he knew Edge wasn't responding because he knocked him out. So he went to his house looking for answers. But he went to his house when he knew Edge was going to be on SmackDown returning. And he did a, like this home invasion that totally fucked with Edge's head. And you, if you haven't seen that home invasion, you you should really seek it out. It, it's probably what put the staple in for me for making this feud of the year. Just because it's it was WWE TV at its best. It was well produced. Really highlighted where Seth got into this groove in the character where he was was finally got focused and edge brought it out of him and i love how edge called daniel and david who are really ftrs and i thought that was a cute touch or whatever just the mannerisms the sliminess really shined here with seth was a great way to build to the hell in the cell and then the hell in the cell cowardly fuckboy seth rollins stepped up to his game and showed no remorse in the cell he brought it brought on every level and he wasn't chicken shit it was just 
perfect. Edge was that veteran babyface that shined. He was easy to root for. The match was paced well, structured great. Honestly, it was flawless, I think. Even with all the brutality and even the weapons weren't wonky, it was merited. It, it was brutal and stiff. The near falls were tremendous. For example, the buckle power bomb into spear combo with Edge in that near fall was fantastic. The power bomb through the, off the ladder through the table was outstanding. The earlier spot where Edge threw Rollins off the top rope through the cage through the table was memorable and great. Seth did a great spot where he ricocheted off that and looked great. You know, even being in Saudi, it had everything against it. Hell in a Cells are watered down, but this feud really ramped up and wore into it. And then the finish of the match, Seth with the super kicks, where in the super really helped him at MSG, put him in a spot to really break his neck, quote unquote, and his career. And then he did the super kicks with the chain this time. And he did the super kicks, but then he got greedy. The curb stomp with a concerto. He threw a chair under him, you know, a callback to the 2014 angle with the concerto with where he had edge. And it was climaxing to the spot, but then edge turns the tables, grabs the chair, turns it upside down and, and you know, crotch chops Rollins where, you know, a callback to the MSG where Rollins crop chops Edge as the transitions. This time, Edge uses the chair to one-up the transition, and then Edge gets goes to the grow too. Gets the chain off his foot, that cross-face submission chokehold that he uses, really wrenches down on that. It's not enough. He grabs a wrench out of the toolbox that was in the ring. Wrenches down there. It's not enough. Seth's about to tap. It's not enough. He wants to edge Seth. He grabs the chair, curb stomp. Boom, on the chair, one, two, three, it's over. Edge just eludes joy. It's just a great conclusion, and it's my feud of the year. Everything together, nothing didn't make sense. Everything was well put together, and honestly, it was flawless, and Seth is in a really, really good spot to get back on track and transition into 22 on a high note. It's my feud of the year. Rossi, who do you got? All right, so that that really made me want to go watch those matches back. I got to tell you that because uh, um, I, I remember them, but not to that extent. So it's a good work there. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Nick Gage and Matt Cardona. I think kind of a few it. that came together organically, um, just with some some like Twitter bullshit. And I mean, let's let take a walk backwards. Um, you know, so Gage wins the title from RSP in that brutal match at Spring Break in uh, Tampa Mania weekend. Um, and then the show ends with Moxley coming out and having the stare down with Gage. So everybody's building, thinking that the build is, you know, the uh, summer of a Moxley-Gage feud. Now, then as the year goes on, you know, Gage does a lot with the um, uh, dark side of the ring thing. So now he kind of gets put into a different light and kind of gets a little bit more mainstream. That brought Cardona in as a mainstream wrestler. Now, now mainstream kind of Cardona hadn't happened since he left WWE. He kind of floundered. He went to AW during the, the no fan era. Um, and just kind of had a quick run with Cody, nothing crazy. Then he moved over to Impact, and he's had a pretty unmemorable, like like lower mid card run there. Now he's starting to move up the card a little bit because he's because of this feud probably. They started chirping on Twitter, which you know whether Gage runs his Twitter or not, few and far between. But they started building the matchup on Twitter. Gage would tweet out like, "Who the hell is this Zach Ryder <laughs> guy? What's he up to?" Um, Cardona that. would start chirping back at him. Somehow they involve like PBR in the feud because Cardona's got the sponsorship with them. It's just, it just, it went to a weird level. Um, Gage saying, you know, PBR fucking sucks and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's Nick Gage, you know? So <laughs> then they have the match. I mean, leading up to the show, I mean, there was, a, it was as red hot an indie match as I remember there being in the last 10 years. Um, it's the I mean, last interviews on, on radio stations. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it, I'm sure you're not the only one that, you know, bought an indie show for the first time because of that, you know, and I mean, they put a pretty good show together to kind of make you, you know, interested in them. This is a late night Saturday. This match went down. Cardona's music hits and it is um, old radio. Tell me everything, you know, and the crowd is just <laughs> nuclear. They want to kill this guy. Um, and then it switches him over to his um, new, his newer theme comes out. It's like a mob scene. I mean, this was great atmosphere. It was like goosebumps watching it. Um, yeah. like, it was one of the coolest atmospheres in wrestling this year crowd was electric i mean this was when everybody threw stuff in the ring when cardona won cardona won because of the um interference of rsp and, and 440 and then them engaged got back up and going um, and then everybody's throwing everything got Meltzer to say oh, there's an unsafe atmosphere those people should be ashamed of themselves then gcw was able to sell t-shirts with that quote on it it just was it took off to a level i don't think anybody expected it to so then you fast Cardona's first defense. He's in Chicago all out weekend. Now Gage has his crew and he's doing war games against 440. Then as the show goes on, Cardona's got an open challenge match and they do war games and, and the open challenge hasn't happened yet. So like, whoa, what the hell's going on here? Then, you know, Gage's team wins. Cardona comes out. His opponent ends up being, they kept the cage up. His opponent ends up being Frank the Clown. So, you know, just, you know, huge jerk off scene, like just him just there, like, you know, getting an easy win, you know, cash and paycheck. He comes in saying, you know, gee, we can barely afford me. I make mincemeat of my competition, yada, yada. So then um, G Raver of all people comes out, kind of distracts him, which allows a druid that was in the get in the ring. That druid ended up being Moxley, who Moxley ends up getting into a singles match with Cardona, pins Cardona, wins the title. So then Gage comes out and he gets in Moxley's face. Um, and then that starts their feud. And then Gage, the, Moxley's now the champion. Him and Gage have a match a couple months later that, you know, didn't have as quite of his electric atmosphere as Cardona, but it, it did pretty well. And they have a fun death match. I mean, and this was not a, a cute death match like Gage had with, with Jericho. Um, this was, this was you know, probably the roughest Mox has had to go <laughs> since he's come back to, uh, you know, left WWE. Um, they have an awesome match. Um, and then, so it just makes you think that this feud was um, started as Moxley and Gage became Gage the Cardona, and it still rolled back to Moxley and Gage through Cardona. Now Cardona is with Chelsea and GCW. We just quit GCW. We'll see where that goes from here. Um, but, I mean, does is GCW selling out Hammerstein without this feud? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't um, think this so. Kind of brought, no, this brought GCW to a different level. And like, like we were talking about yesterday, let's see where they go with it in 2022. But ultimately, I think this was the feud of the year because this was, I think, United States-wise – other than anything WWE and AEW did, the most talked about thing that we had in the country this year. And, you know, New Japan had some great feuds, but none of it hit as close to home as this one did for everybody around here. And it was cool seeing Cardona, like, you know, now he's still killing it on the indies and doing other things. So this was a feud that helped and benefited everybody. It made Gage a bigger star. It made Cardona a bigger star into a different level. And, you know, Gage, Cardona went from somebody that, you know, maybe have a cute couple year run and then go back to WWE. He doesn't need to anymore. This guy has a weight that he's going to make himself money doing whatever he wants and with control of whatever he wants. And this showed at his willingness to do a death match and, and to do that, to get that respect from people. It shows volumes of what that guy's willing to do. Um, and, you know, the fact that he's got an awesome fan base really just comes from this. And and I think that this was a feud that we're going to look back at a couple of years from now and be like, holy shit, that's when GCW really took off. So that's got to be the feud of the year for me. Cool. Now, Mike, I don't remember what your feud was when you told us 25 minutes ago. <laughs> but um, <laughs> all right. So do you think that these three feuds would be the top three feuds after everyone submits Observer at the end of the year? Or are we just very subjective here with our own tastes? Because I, I personally do agree with all of our tastes. Personally, I think 
that the AEW, Mike, I think you were right with being at Hangman in Omega. Rossi, I think you're right with the other category because, you know, this is the most meaningful thing and you did a great job laying it out. Now, is anything, is it Edge and Rollins for the WWE or is it something Roman did or, or it's nothing on Raw? I, I, I really doubt it's anything on Raw. I don't think Raw. anything on Raw. I don't think it's anything on Raw. Nothing on NXT. I could see people saying Roman and Brock just because of the Heyman stuff. I mean, the matches have the match wasn't overly memorable. You get blown off on January 1st, day one in Atlanta. Yeah, and plus, isn't the observer criteria a little bit different? Is it, though? That was like, my don't question. Don't they have, like, different, like, yearscapes? I don't think so. I don't think. I think it's I'm not sure. I, I always have it is... crossed up with PWI, so I'm never sure. Because I know PWI is, like, June to June or something. I'm pretty sure it's bookend year. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Could be wrong, though. I don't know. I think Observer, that... so. Go ahead. Observer's going to say Osprey and Okada, too, and then um, Osprey and Shingo. That's just something that, you know, Dave talked a lot about when it was going on. And then New Japan kind of went quiet for a bit. But those are two that will do well with Observer voting. I just gave New Japan so much love with these. I mean, Cardona and Gage just hit so close to home with us, so I had to go with that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, nobody's wrong when they say Osprey and Okada, you know? All right, so here has been the history real quick. Moxley and Kingston, like I said, a six-week feud. Empty arena year, and it's it's just a it, – last year, it's like a weird year. Before that, it was Cole and Gargano, and then it was Gargano and Chiampa in 18. 17 was Okada and Omega. That's easy. 16 was oh, oh, McGregor and Nate, Nate Diaz, and then there was a few years where it was McGregor and Aldo, and then John Jones and Cormier. So it's like, is anything from MMA going to steal it this year, Mike? I don't think so, right? Yeah, I mean, McGregor and Poirier, maybe. They had two fights that had the most hype and, you know, so they had two, They had two fights. That might steal rates ever. So maybe. Yeah, I that, didn't think of that. That might steal votes, too. This is interesting. This is probably the most open out of all the groups, in my opinion. Like, they could be, you submit three people. Ten people can make three different submissions easily. Especially one through five, two with their criteria. It's wide open. So I don't know. It, this should be an interesting one. Uh, I personally don't think that the voters will, will vote Rollins and Edge, but I think that I made a decent case for it to get there. But I don't think that I don't even think it's going to crack the top three, honestly, just because of the voters and the kind of the Seth Rollins hate. I could also see the Young Bucks feud with Jurassic Express being up there just because mm. it, it, I feel like it happened for so long. Do I think it was great? No. Was the, was the closing match fun? Sure. But I think that, like, to what Eller had said earlier, um, it might be like a respect thing for Jungle Boy to kind of throw him a bone there. Now, short-term feud that was awesome. It just only lasted a couple of weeks. I mean, Punk and Kingston, that was about as electric a two- or three-week span as AEW had all year. But there might be a couple people that vote for that just because of how good that two- or three-week stretch was, you know? Yeah, but it's 4% of the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> It's it's such a it's such a weird But it was category. electric. That Rampage promo was outstanding. Yeah, I mean, we forgot to even mention that with Punk. For it was promo. just like – and plus it was like – Yes. Yeah, it was so fresh, too, that like and even, you know, honestly, even Eddie Kingston as like promo guy, like we kind of missed on that a little bit. I mean, it was I mean, that was probably the single best promo of the year was those two going at it. And it was just a, like a, like I said, like a two week build. But I could see it stealing some boats for sure. All right, cool. So I would, you know, personally, if you guys would like to reach out and kind of give us your prediction for feud of the year or your, you know, your top three or your opinions, that would be pretty cool, because that, I think this is the most subjective category out there. You know, is it, is it, it, what about Nick Aldis and Trevor Murdoch? Any love or nothing? Nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> no. some of the, I mean, Cole and, o, Cole and O'Reilly. Yeah, but it was, it, 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 lived up, 
But it was good, bit. but it didn't live up to the hype. It didn't live up yeah. to the hype. And then the Fallout was Fallout has a lot to do with this too, honestly, in my opinion. And the Fallout, well, hello, they're both in AEW, <laughs> so come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Best so, friends again. All right, so the next category we got, guys, is match of the year. A little quicker. It's not as detailed. Mike Eller, who, what are some of the matches that you would consider for AEW for match of the year 2021? So I've got a couple here. I went. I think for my, and I don't do like, I, you know, hey, I might be a little bit lenient with my star ratings, but I don't, I do not go above like uh, five stars. Like I just, five, five's where I'm at. And then I don't do five and a half. I don't do six. If people do that, fine. But just, yeah. Um, so for my best matches in AEW, um, one, the Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks um, at AEW All Out um, for the tag titles. Uh, like you said, I, I didn't think that they needed to have a cage. And honestly, like when I was watching that feud at the time, I wanted that to be Jurassic Express. I didn't want, I was like, oh, the Lucha Brothers again. Like I know they can have great matches, but I didn't, it's not the match I wanted to see. But by the end of that match, that's like, I'm like, I'm so thankful that they ended up doing that. They just had like such a great, like it, it was long. Like it went, um, I know it, like, I don't ever feel like it went very long though. And um, so that was like one of the tacks with the shoes and like the stories there. Um, They, I think they topped their match from two years before at all out 2019. And that was like, you know, I was at that one and that was one of the best matches I had seen. um, Humble humble brag, Mike. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Continue buddy. Um, So yeah, you know, the time, the time for that match was 22. So not, it, it wasn't that, that long. It was, it was great. Uh, other matches I wanted to throw out, and again, don't want to go too extensively into every one of them, but um, I, again, I, I really love Danielson and Suzuki. I think it was just such a different match. Kenny Omega versus Paige for the world title. Now, was it the best in-ring thing, Danielson and Omega, or, you know, a lot like the best work rate thing? No, but I just thought the emotion of it and Paige finally winning that title was just awesome. The other one I wanted to, I really loved, Page and Danielson, the 60 minute draw. I, I don't know if that's like decisive. I don't, I, I haven't seen many people that have hated it. I love the match. I, you know, sometimes I watch it and I'm like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. And I, you know, then I chill and I'm like, all right, maybe it isn't, but I really, really love that match. Um, just, you know, looking back at it now, I guess a couple of honorable mentions, additional honorable mentions. Um, Andretti, um, El Idolo and Pac had a really good match um, on a rampage a couple months back. You know, Andrade is really underwhelmed me in impact, but in terms of like the actual match, I thought was really, really, really good. I, you know, kudos to him there. And um, yeah, so AEW has a ton of, I think they have a ton of four star matches too. Um, but I wanted to highlight like just kind of the ones that were the absolute best. Um, if I can think of anything else, Danielson and Kingston had a really, really great match. Uh, you know, special shout out to Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa for the uh, the lights out match. I I, oh, I don't think that's the yeah. best match of the year, but that you know if it's a star making performance, that might be the one you know something that really really stands out too. Very cool, very cool. For the WWE side, I have three. I think there's three that are just head and above most. WWE wasn't like for five star matches. It wasn't very outstanding, but they had a a glutton of four. In four plus, they had a, a, a quite a few hovering around four and a half. 
They had a handful around four and three quarters, and then they had a. I had two at five. So first, coming third was Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Daniel Bryan for the Universal Title at WrestleMania. It was a 22-minute sprint at four and three quarter stars. It was outstanding from the start. Um, the only thing that knocked from being five for me was was just the Jey Uso stuff. I don't think it hurt the match. I just think it it hurt the potential of the match. It added to the match, but it kind of hurt it being with a five star upside. Is is kind of what I'm saying. I love Roman stacking them at the end. It really was a sprint. It goes by like that. It was it's just awesome. And then this is hard for me to pick these out of these two matches. I cheated a little bit, Rossi. I went into your territory and I stole an NXT match. I went with Walter versus Ilya Dragunov from NXT TakeOver 36 for the NXT UK title. I had that at five stars. Again, another 22-23 minute sprint. It's the most graphic, gruesome, hard-hitting, New Japan-style match out there. I'm afraid that that style might be dying in NXT because if you go back through Walter's career... He had those with Chiampa. Ilya the year before, Jesus Christ, the Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne matches were those style. They're all fantastic. Walter's an interesting case for like a GWWE list, honestly. That's something maybe we can get into this year. Hint, hint. You know, I love the match. It's my cup of tea. I went five stars with it. And then really, Ilya overcoming Walter fantastic and i love the way that he had walter in the choke on the ground and then walter wakes makes his way to the top and then Ilya grabs it and cranks it and as soon as walter's on his feet and it cranks it he taps out of nowhere it was unexpected you that they might go longer but it really added to the finish and it really stamped a five-star match for me it's outstanding i love it but believe it or not because I'm cheating a little and I went to NXT, so I didn't want to steal maybe your thunder, Rossi. But c- coming into this podcast, I watched this match as my match of the year, and it's the Hell in the Cell match that I alluded to earlier. I don't want to get any more into it. I just think it's perfect. So many callbacks within that feud. The story was top-notch. The psychology delivered. Like, if you were to compare it to a cage match with the Young Bucks in uh, the Lucha Dragon, like, the psychology there, you know, wavers a little bit. But it didn't in the Hell in the Cell. And that's why I would go with it over that match, believe it or not. But athletically, that match is just outstanding and work rate-wise and all that stuff. But with the Hell in the Cell, psychology-wise, which really isn't really Seth Rollins' strength, honestly. But again, Edge really hovers with it and brings it out of him and really sets him up. That Hell in the Cell at five stars for, again, 25, 27 minutes perfectly delivered it's it delivers on all levels work rate psychology story structure all that five stars held in the cell that's my match of the year for 2021 all right rossi on you all right so i'm gonna give a couple shouts to some matches before i get into my my top one and i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of stick i mean i was gonna say dragon out so i'm glad you did that makes my life easier um that match was awesome um and they, they had two really good matches but the one to take over was by far the best one so shingo had some five star matches i mean Tanahashi, Osprey, um, he had in the New Japan Cup. Um, Osprey had one with Saber in the New Japan Cup. Then there was Tanahashi and Shingo again. The names just keep rolling. Shingo and Cobb, Abushi and Naito. I mean, Japan, you just have an endless stream of five-star matches. Um, some matches that I feel like I wanted to mention that you guys didn't. It was way early last year, but Omega and Ray Phoenix had a hell of a match on Dynamite. Um, Might have been my favorite um, non-Danielson Omega match of the year. And then um, WWE-wise, 
I want to give a little bit of a shout to the uh, Money in the Bank match that Big E won. I thought that was really cool and, you know, entertaining yeah. from start to finish. And then um, for NXT, another match that I feel like flies under the radar because there's so many good matches this year was Johnny Gargano and Kushida. They had a hell of a match. I think Dave gave that one four and three quarters. That one might have been, I forget what show it was, um, maybe Vengeance uh-huh, Day. Vengeance Day. Vengeance. Um, but that really cool match. But mine was a match that, that Melty gave 6-2. Um, I think that... I don't think it was as good as the, you know, the heralded Omega Okada matches, but um, Shingo and Osprey from uh, Pro Wrestling Dantaku back in May. So it was legitimate. Like, I mean, the scale breaks because of matches like this. You just can't can't compare to a match with this physicality. I mean, 46 minutes. Um, it was a match that kind of <laughs> set Osprey off for a couple months. He had to give up the title because of the, just how physical this match was. And reading the Observer that then Dave talked about this, and really the one thing that I never even picked up on when I was watching it, neither one of them kicked out of each other's finishers at all during a 46-minute match. That shows like kind of a different level that Japan's on. That they, I mean, they've done that. You know, Okada and Omega kicked out of each other's finishers a lot. Maybe not Rainmaker and stuff as often, but it happens. These guys didn't do that at all for a 46-minute match, which is impressive. I mean, WWE, I mean, they would never be able to put a match together without kicking out of finishes. I think that that was really what set this apart from the other matches that we would talk about. It was just what it meant to the year, what it meant to both guys. It kind of put both of them on that really, really high upper tier to the fact that we talked about Shingo in great depth earlier. Um, We'll talk about Osprey again in a little bit, but um, these two guys became bonafide you know household names i think in pro wrestling this year and this match had a lot to do with it and it kind of stole the thunder from japan for the rest of that year um nothing was ever going to stack up to what they those guys did in may i mean shingo tried his hell but tried his uh, his ass off to try to get to another match of that level but it just wasn't going to happen um and that doesn't take away from what he did the rest of the year but these two guys had what i think was the best match of the year anywhere um that's not bashing though the matches that you guys had you've had some great ones but i just think that you know watching this match it just it shows wrestling at such a different level and i can't really gush about it any more than i already have yeah very cool well within our parameters we worked it out actually it's eller what was your actual match of the year bucks versus lucha bros Bucks versus Lucha Bros. So in a way, it's three totally different matches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yours and I's are, are actually similar, Mike. I think that, yeah, they're going to probably go with yours, Osprey. Shingo? Yeah, and just to like kind of give like my take on that Bucks match um, and the fact that it was only 22 minutes actually made it more impressive um, that they yes. got so much into 20 minutes. And it didn't feel like they they were too short when they ended it either. Like, I feel like they could have even lopped a couple minutes off of it, and it still would have been as good. But when they, they built to their spots well, I liked having the cage match because they didn't have to deal with any, you know, interference. Um, match was awesome. I mean, I, I'm going to look back fondly on All Out as one of the best shows of the year. Um, but that was definitely the match that kind of was right in the middle of the show, kind of glued it all together and, and kind of kept you on the edge of your seat from bell to bell. You mentioned it's 22 minutes and they fit it all in. That's just my little bit of a quirk in it that you know the psychology wise where jesus christ they're jumping off the ladders doing corkscrews and then they're getting up two seconds later it's just like all right guys let it breathe a little <laughs> you know what i mean that's just old corruption in me in me where in the hell in the cell it it just breathed perfectly and it just worked it just it's subjective taste if i'm putting money on this i'm putting money on that bucks match Ooh, it's tough i don't know like Iron Man matches, too, may get some love, but I don't know if because if the finishes will hurt it with some of them. You know, if the finishes being ties may be tiebreakers to go with someone else, if you kind of get what I'm saying. But I think that those... That's what it, I was going to say. That was actually yeah. what... So, I don't know. Yeah. They, it's, it's a struggle for me to name a match of the year. Yeah, those 
ties are going to go a long ways for the story, but for them to be singled out as match of the year may be hard. I think it's going to, I personally, I'd put money on Osprey and Shingo probably. And then I would probably go Bucks and Lucha second. And then third, I would probably go with one of the uh, time limit draws. I'd probably go, I think the Omega one was better. The, the 60 minute one was maybe more impressive. But it, it just they would, you could just tell three minutes in that they were going 60. I think I called it in a group chat, not to be like lame or whatever. Yeah, no. But and, and Danielson, as soon as Danielson and Paige opened the show, you knew it was going 60. Yeah, in my a, opinion, it was, a, it was a giveaway. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't even mention Omega and, and Hangman in the title change match. That was see that was awesome I too. gave that a That's shout four out. Quarter for me. That's four and a quarter. For oh, me. you did. You did give it a shout. That's right. I'm looking at a list of yeah. what Dave's given five stars to this year, and there's 20 matches. When if we look at what the observer voter is going to put in, just but honestly, there's so many sickos out there that are going to see the different matches in different ways. It's completely wide open. I mean, just yeah. the fact it's that similar Dave gave Osprey and very Shingo similar six people feud. are going to vote it. It just says like using Dave as a tiebreaker. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's very similar to the feud. This one's probably the most subjective one too. It's like you said, you got ten submissions and ten different answers. One, two, and three. So it's definitely very interesting. All right, here's some of the winners in the past. 2020, Omega and Page versus the Young Bucks at Revolution. Outstanding. Uh, 2019, Shingo versus Osprey from June 5th, best of the Super Juniors 26. So that's, Mike, does that help its case or hurt its case? What do you think? I, I think it helps it. I do. Yeah, because I see Omega and Okada in back-to-back years in 17 and 18. So I'm wondering if that, you know, history-wise, is that that probably might help Shingo and Osprey this year Kind of Plus, it was kind of a graduation. You know, that was best of the Super Juniors, and now it's best of, you know, New Japan. You know you know what I mean? So um, I think that's where it's kind of, this is in this situation, kind of like a graduation of them, similar to how, you know, Omega was having Killer Juniors matches before he moved up the card. Cool. Instead of going all these, let's do promotion. So 2012 to 2019 was all New Japan, right? And then Not 2018. Yeah, but this is kind of cool, too. 20, uh, 2008 to 2011 was all WWE, believe it or not. You had the C- you had the Jericho and Michaels ladder match in 08. You had the two Sean and Taker matches at WrestleMania back-to-back. And then you had that best WWE match maybe ever with Punk and Cena at Money in the Bank. And then 05 to 07, you had Ring of Honor. You had Kobashi versus Joe in 05. You had that WrestleMania weekend 06 fucking six-man jerk-off fest that I remember with Dragon Kid and Sima and Yoshi and whatever. And then you had Danielson versus Yorijima. Did I say that? Takahishi Morishima? Yeah. Oh, look at me with my pronunciation. Then so it o- kind of shows, like, Wrestle Kingdom, like, in, like, that, what, like, 2012 phase? Like, that really turned New Japan into an option. In 03 and 04, you have Pro Wrestling Noah with Mazawa and Kabashi and Kabashi. Yeah, and Yashi. just like... Yeah. That AJ Styles run with New Japan when they started to get like an American pay-per-view, that's really where the tides turned. And I mean, you look at 08 to 11, I mean, if they're not picking WWE, what were they going to pick? Were they going to pick an impact match? You know what I mean? 2015, that Wrestle Kingdom, I remember ordering on pay-per-view was Ross and, uh, geez, I don't remember who else was doing it. But no, that was like my New Japan before then. But that was like when I really started to like care about it. And I probably did till about 2018. And then after that, like I kind of just lost a little bit of interest in it. But I mean, it's just wild that they pretty much dominated the decade. 
That's the thing, too, is like you think of 2018 when you might have lost interest in, in New Japan because that's when AEW took over a part of your life. Even though yeah. they really kicked it in 2019, the hype the hype train started and ROH started to pretty much be the precursor of AEW. So it's just funny how you look at this match of the year and it's just like how wrestling goes and errors, go, so goes the match. I mean, I'm sure we could pick out the best match of the year in all of those years that happened in Japan. But like this year, like I'm picking a Japan match that was probably bell to bell the best match. But not enough people might have watched it because they don't have exposure to, to New Japan because they're spending more time watching American wrestling than they were having in the past, you know? Because of AEW, correct. Yes, that's a very good point. Very good point. And then 02, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit versus Edge and Rey Mysterio from No Mercy, the WWE, you know, the finals of that WWE SmackDown title reign. Shout out to Jake and the Russo-Lee Aggressive Pod. And 2002, Los Guerreros were not tag team of the year. To bookend that. <laughs> All right, Mike Keller. <laughs> That put a fucking bug in my ass, so I kind of had to get it out there. But anyways, Mike Eller, 2021 Female Wrestler of the Year. Who do you got? I mean, I think this is like, the if any award I picked, like this is like one I just, a no-brainer. It's Brit. Mike touched a lot on this where maybe her in-ring work wasn't, you know, Toyota in the ring or anything like that. But she had good matches, and she definitely carried this division. If we talk about, like, you know, when I was talking earlier about MJF, like MJF was the reason people cared about feuds. Um, Britt with her feuds is definitely a really strong part of that. Maybe even more so than MJF. She had the really great match with Thunder Rosa, the lights out match that I went four and a quarter. I, I lingered between four and a quarter, four and a half, but probably four and a quarter. She hasn't gotten stale yet either. And she's had this heel gimmick for well over a year now. She's definitely a runaway. I don't really have, like, I, I know Sheeta, held the belt a lot. She was in a bad position where she's wrestling in front of nobody or AEW wrestlers for a lot of the year. I don't know even if she had all the, you know, the fans that she would have connected. And I think that they, AEW had a little bit of trouble with Riho, I think was a miss. I, I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I think that that was a miss going with her as the first champion. I agree. Um, Nyla Rose, you, you do agree? Yeah. Nyla Rose was, Okay, she does really a year-long title reign that just kind of was there. But Britt makes the TV matter. Like her segments matter. Uh, her stuff with Shivani is hilarious. Her lackeys with Rebel or Reba um, is just doing whatever she says is good. Uh, or you know, and following and then adding Jamie Hader to the mix um, a little bit later in the year um, has been good. And we're already getting you know the idea that she's probably going to turn on Britt and that. Maybe Britt makes another, you know, maybe get Britt can help get her over as well. Kind of even making, you know, Riho, who I didn't think was interesting at all, kind of, you know, making it interesting that I think that's going to be a match in early 2022. I still think that like the big money match with for the women in AW is going to be her and Thunder Rosa and Thunder Rosa eventually taking the belt for her. Um, at least that's how I would, at least that's what I would do. Her being able to make the belt matter, um, her having solid feuds, Makes it a no-brainer that she's she's definitely the women's wrestler of the year for AEW. Yeah, for AEW, I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all, Mike. You made a really good case laying it out. And then if you want to say Thunder, but she hasn't gotten the push to back it up, and maybe 2022 it's Thunder Rosa. I wrote in parentheses, I have my woman, and then I have parentheses Britt Baker. But then I wrote parentheses a little flawed, very inconsistent in ring. She has more bad matches than good matches, in my opinion. But her character, like just like you said, her character work is fantastic. Her um, her promos are great. Her charisma is outstanding. And she really did set up this women's division for success after they made a bunch of hiccups early. It was a slow burn, but it accelerated quick once she got good. 
Is it Britt Baker? I don't think so, but you made a really good case. Who I think it is, is I think it's Bianca Belair. 2020, she was called up at WrestleMania in the pandemic, and then she was on main event against Ruby Soho for six months, or Ruby whatever, and against no one. And we were like, where is where is she? But they were just letting her burn to the fall. And they had a, this slow burn with her, and then she exploded at the Rumble. And honestly, I remember talking with Rossi, I'm like, she ain't ready. I don't know if she's ready for the spot. She feels like she's 70% there half the time. There's something missing. But that WrestleMania, she may have had WrestleMania with Sasha, and Sasha's great too, so don't get me wrong. She's in there set up for success, and she really just fucking blows it out of the water. It was a 13-minute main event, which sounds like not enough, but honestly, it was perfect, and they knocked it out of the park and had a four-and-a-quarter star match. She just felt like such a big star at that WrestleMania. It was really the WWE's presentation on steroids with her, and she knocked it out of the park, and it's yeah, WWE helped her, but it's on her for delivering. Just, like, her facial reactions are lucky. Like, I got lucky in a way, or surprising, or whatever, but it's worked. She's like a 33-year-old stud athlete, like a little girl, like, vibes, which just really connect with the younger audience. I don't know. I just think she's great. And honestly, she's had hiccups up and down this year. Um, she couldn't, her Bailey feud was good, but she couldn't finish it. Bailey blows out her leg, and she they can't do the Hell in a Cell match or whatever. And then the Sasha match great build to, to SummerSlam and then Sasha with the COVID and the protocols or whatever. She can't do that. And then she gets the Becky, I don't care, the Becky Lynch return. I was there like a Mike Eller humble brag with me, but I was <laughs> sorry, Mike. Yeah, I'm, what are you doing, I'm, man? I'm, wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I was there, so I look at it differently in a, in a way where it's just Raider Stadium unglued and Becky returned, and Becky's the biggest star that they've had, to be frank. And Becky returns, and she's staring at Bianca, and Bianca's charisma and star power is, like, up to speed. It's just her – but the story is her wrestling wasn't yet, or she was shocked, or whatever. And all that's believable because of all the quirks that I just described that she gained this year. Nothing finished with her this year besides that WrestleMania build. Royal, oh, and she won the Royal Rumble, Jesus Christ. And she was very good in the Royal Rumble, lasting throughout, coming in at three. So the Rumble to WrestleMania, it was oof with the build, but it delivered in the match. Both matches delivered. So she's done nothing but deliver with hiccups and with roadblocks getting in her way. And even lately with the Dewdrop stuff. You, so you mean to tell me you're going to have three matches in a row on Raw with the same girl. It worked. And each match was different. And each match was pretty good. Again, well, Dewdrop's good. Don't get me wrong. And she was the sole survivor at Survivor Series, too. So plenty of highs in what could have been lows, her star power. She's good in ring and everything overcame it. Honestly, for me, easily woman of the year. And then I wanted to give some love to Becky, Charlotte, Sasha, and, and Bailey too. Bailey was pretty good early on, too. So, But the four pillars, the four horsewomen also had pockets. Uh, very good this year too but all four of them had abbreviated years too and becky's becky lynch's star power is definitely still there and her title reign right now is going to be very meaningful in my opinion and could elevate someone to the next level whoever it may be the women's division of wwe is herky-jerky at times and whatever but it's still solid and they've definitely delivered a bunch of stars and bianca is now one of them and she is easily to me 2020 woman of the year rossi what you got Ma uh masha slakovich next let me guess no no <laughs> see I, I she she's awesome 
I mean, I, what, I'm going to kind of give mine out and kind of quick sale, but then kind of give you guys a connection. I, I kind of put together with what you guys have. So a couple people I want to give shouts to first. Um, Kaylee Ray, she had a really good UK run. Um, and as she's coming over to the state, she's done okay. I mean, I feel like they're going to start to really get behind her, you know, after they cut through the core Jade stuff coming up here. Um, and then Miko Satamora, she finally got some shine in WWE on the UK brand, and she had some killer matches with Kaylee Ray. Um, and she's, you know, had the, the title for a little bit now. So UK is a lightly watched show, but I mean, if you're going to watch them, their women are one of the main reasons too, other than Walter and Ilya. Um, and then Absolutely. other than that, I, I really had two choices. I had um, Deanna Perrazzo and I had Raquel Gonzalez. And it didn't take me long to decide because Deanna Perrazzo is has heralded as this great wrestler. And she is. But I think her problem is she hasn't really had the dance partners to have the great matches yet in, in Impact. Her pay-per-view matches so far this, this year, and well, really for this year because it's over, were Taya, the beginning of the year, uh, Tennille Dashwood. She had one with Thunder Rosa that was by far her best one. Then she had a stinker and a triple mania with Fabi Apache. And then um, she had, she lost the title to Mickey James at Bound for Glory and what Dave gave two stars. I didn't watch that one, but the best way I can describe Deanna Perrazzo is she's solid. She's technical, but nothing's memorable. And I can even go as far as to say she's boring. Um, so that's where we are there. And that's what leads me to Raquel Gonzalez. Now, Raquel Gonzalez is going to kind of transition me over to my point with you guys. So now Raquel had two legitimate four-star matches this year. She had one in a tag match with Dakota against Shotzi and Ember. I think it was. Um, and then she had a, a pretty good match with um, Dakota Kai as champion. But her most memorable match was headlining Stand and Deliver Mania Weekend um, with uh, Io Shirai when she won the title. I mean, that was a solid four, four and a quarter. Nobody else, no other women in my category here is going to really touch that resume as far as what they did at that point of the year. But what's interesting to me as I now transition to you guys is, again, I don't think Raquel is going to win this category. I think that she's going to get some respect and some votes. But overall, we're going to start thinking about you guys' options. Raquel did her best work before fans came back. Yeah. You guys have two people that they kind of built up. And then once the fans came back, that was when they hammered it hard. So Britt won that title at Double or Nothing when they first had the fans back. I think it was Double or Nothing. Yeah, it was. When they first had the fans yeah, back. It was like. Um, and I mean, that was like to place, a, a smaller uh, scale yeah. fan base. So it was a smaller scale. It wasn't the full-blown fan base, but it was a, to a smaller scale. And then they kind of worked towards more as they went on, I think. Or that might have been a full full show. I don't remember. But then you look at B Bianca. She gets her mania moment in front of fans. So they did a really good job with those two at kind of making their moments feel huge. You know what I mean? By giving them the fan moments, by giving them, you know, the availability to get that pop. Um, and, I mean, Bianca was elevated at a WrestleMania main event. You know, I'm, I think we made a miss when we didn't mention that as one of the matches of the year. Like, I don't think it was a match of the year, but it's something we should have given a little bit more respect to. Just because of the mo yeah. moment, um, Bianca became yeah. a star pretty much overnight. Um, and to the, the point you made with the Becky stuff, Becky coming back and having that, you know, groundswell of support that everybody gave Bianca on the Internet after that only helped Bianca. And it's going to help her moving forward. Yeah. And then Britt, to the point we were saying earlier, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Britt Baker. And she's somebody two years ago I couldn't care less about. Um, so they've done a really good job building her up. And those are your two choices, I think, for this year. I completely agree. Um, but I think Raquel had a really good year, too. I think Raquel has proven to me this year that she can make money on the main roster. And eventually, when they bring her up, she will. So I think her future is bright. And I think that all three girls here are the future of women's wrestling in, in one way or the other. Yeah, uh, let's kind of just take a few seconds and try to see if we can come up with a, a one. Because this isn't very deep. You know, unfortunately, it's not very deep, not like feud or match of the year where we'd be going running around in circles. But this is a category where we can kind of hammer home a few really strong options. So, Mike, who's your pick? I'm going to say Britt 
I'm going to say, so Raquel was mine, but I think if I had to pick one, it would be Britt. And, and why I would say her over Bianca is just overall impact. Bianca was the, the Robin for a lot of her feuds. And then she became Batman and some of them as it went on, but Britt's been Batman all year. And that's kind of where I think, you know, I, I'm going to give Britt the leg up and Britt, Britt has not had the star power to work with like Bianca did. You know, Bianca had the horsewomen all year. Um, that's not a bad place to be where, you know, Britt kind of had to find it with groundswell. And I mean, just look at the amount of people that have Britt Baker t-shirt from the ground up. Yeah, but it's totally different levels. The WWE women's division is way better than AEW. So it's, is it a big fish in a small pond is my thing. For Bianca to shine against the four horsewomen, even though, yeah, they're working with her and having her, you know, it's shining her up. But for her to overcome all of them in, in shine, sure. But, you know, I don't want to say Brit's shiny with a bunch of turds, but re- go resume for resume. Bianca's is much deeper. If you go, you know, if you, know, if you break down all those characteristics, it, is it close? Sure, I guess. But is it close? But is Britt Baker really just overvalued because she's the, you know, the biggest fish in a small pond is my argument. What I will kind of punch you on that. I agree. And, and where I'll counter punch on that is let's pull Britt Baker out of AEW right now and put her on Raw. Okay. Is she good television on Raw? Um, I think she probably is if she carries a similar gimmick. Now let's yeah. put Bianca Belair on AEW. If she's in AEW, is she anything more than Jade Cargill? Yeah, come on. She is way more. I'm not saying, she's I mean, I'm not saying, but like people roles. to work with her. All right. So if you want to reverse the roles. Yeah, she could go out there with Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa and have way just as compelling matches as Britt does. Her star power is like promo wise, it's like in charisma wise, it's Britt. But star power wise, would she maximize her star power with, in AEW though? Like that's more of a flaw on AEW than it is on WWE. Like her potential, like you saw the potential in her star power in the WWE. No, you're right. I just, I just. So feel I, like I, I get. Is it I apples and oranges in a way? No, but is it, you did make a very good comparison. It did made me think a little bit. But when I thought about it, it's, it's I don't want to say it's a different world because it, it's a good way. It's a good argument to throw out there. I don't think it merits it really. But if you put Britt Baker on Raw, right, absolutely falling in love with her. Yeah, agree. And that's pretty much where I th- where I think it is, is. I feel like Britt kind of gives you that dynamic that would work anywhere. Bianca kind of, she works anywhere now. But when she first came up, she kind of needed the proper dance partners to get to the level. For sure. And, and I'm sure Britt would t- would have too. And don't forget, she's you're talking about Britt Baker flushed out three years in now, or two and a half years in now. Bianca Belair has been flushed out kind of on the main roster for the whole year because she was on ice pretty much all of 2020. In her NXT run, she was a mid-carder pretty much. Or she was elevated to the top when she quote-unquote wasn't ready, even though she showed characteristics of being ready. So I don't Oh, I think it's a good argument. I think uh, I think the Observer Roaders are going to vote, vote for Britt. But here's the history of it. 2020, Bailey. 2019, Becky Lynch. 2018, Becky Lynch. This could be the first year where AEW wins this category for sure. But if it's WWE, I think it's Bianca hands down. Yeah, I agree. All right. So our last category here is the main event. Really? It's an interesting category. It's definitely could cause a pretty good debate, cause in, really an internal debate within yourselves. I, I could think of a few guys personally. Um, Rossi, I'm sure you could think of a handful of guys. And Eller, I'm thinking you could ha- think of a handful of guys too. But it is wrestler of the year. It's total package. Who is the best wrestler 
for 2021 total package promos presentation wrestling feud storylines everything who's your dude mike eller at aew i think we can send it home i'm going qt marshall and we're set (laughs) (laughs) wrap it up we're done Um, i agree so this is one part we decided to do this in two parts I was like, all right, cool. I have more time to think on this. I wasn't 100% set on who I wanted to go with. And like, as time kept going on, I kept thinking like, I don't know who I want to go with. But, you know, just thinking it out, thinking it out, thinking it out. I My pick for wrestler of the year for AEW is Kenny Bagad Omega. Um, there's a couple reasons why I went with him. Number one, I'll go with just as in, in ring work. He had a very good year. Again, a lot of times it is multi-man matches. At AEW's New Year Smash in Jan- at the beginning of January, he had an excellent match versus uh, Phoenix. Just, I'm just going to go over singles matches that I thought that were very good, or maybe a, a tag match or two. You know, he did have the exploding barbed wire match against Moxley, um, and we talked about that. The match was good. The finish was absolutely terrible. I don't think that was obviously on any fault of his own. He had a Solid match versus Matt Seidel um, defending the title on Dynamite. Matt Seidel, Evan Bourne, he doesn't really, you know, he's not a a player or anything like that. He's almost like a jobber at this point. But got a good match out of, you know, they had a good match together. He had another good match, Pac and, and Orange Cassidy at Double or Nothing. Going into... One thing that he did with the Christian Cage thing that was really cool is did lose the belt um, on the Rampage on August 13th. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Um, I thought he was just going to keep those belts forever. So I, I really enjoyed him switching the, you know, Christian winning the belt, at least making things interesting for the all-out match where it was kind of like a title versus title thing that Omega eventually won. They have the amazing time limit draw um, at Grand Slam at 922. And then, you know, obviously losing the belt to in an amazing match versus Paige at um, full gear. I didn't include any, like, you know, he was part of a lot of multi-man matches with the Bucks or the Good Brothers. Um, I can't stand the Good Brothers, but they're all good matches as long as Anderson and Gallows were away from them, at least in my opinion. So the work rate, you know, obviously he's delivering in big matches. I think that's really important for your champion. Really, really important for your champion. Just kind of moving along um, outside of the work. Again, his babyface run was like, eh, blah. It was it was okay. Was it great? No. Was it terrible? I didn't think it was terrible, but he was, I mean, he brought it to a new level. Um, I love that they do like the from North Carolina or wherever, you know, the thing, uh, the play on the Michael Jordan uh, Chicago Bull intro. Um, I think that was a really nice touch and made him feel much bigger. Also, the the thing I wanted to add was like in terms of his character with Callis that brought it to a whole new level. I think that obviously Don Callis, you know, I'm not voting him for the wrestler of the year. But he played a huge part in Omega being a big deal in a way that, you know, I'm sure a guy will hear about earlier. His manager made him a big deal. You talking about Robert Stone? Yeah, we're talking about Robert Stone. Uh, he, okay. I mean, he saved everything. I mean, I, I hope I didn't ruin your choice, too. <laughs> Go on, buddy. And then outside of AEW, you know, he was the AAA champion for a while. Still, and, you know, I know he had to relinquish it because he's taking time off. And then he worked Impact, and those Impact shows that he were he was on saw a huge increase in the ratings. And honestly, I'm gonna be it got me to start watching. I'm not watching it weekly anymore or at, at this point, but 
I care about it. Like I'm curious. It's made me care about like their promotion too. And that's not, you know, what I think me personally thinks I know isn't necessarily what hundred percent matters, but it's pretty cool that they got impact to be relevant again. Um, and they were, I don't think that they really were. I think they've had moments. They've really been more sink than swim since they left spike. Uh, so I, I, when you add all those things together, you know, that he's been the total package for AEW this year. Do I think like he's had the best said like the Bucks may have had the best year of like any tag team for in ring work? Do I think that with Omega? No. Do I think like this is like again a Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds MVP season? Uh no, I don't. But do I think it you it is an MVP season or you know a great season? Yeah, I do think it is. Maybe uh I, I don't know. I I can't think of an MVP season off the top of my head, but he was great and um that's my reasoning for that. Just real quick, I wanted to go with Daniel Bryan for this. I really did just because I love his wrestling so much. But I just think with the four months off, if you're looking for your MVP, you can't give a guy that was only with the company for a few months. Omega's my choice. You laid out pretty good groundwork. You made some points that might skew someone's opinion a little bit. But uh, overall, he's a worthy submission. For me, it was easy. It's the big dog. It's Mr. Ooh-Ah, man. It's Roman Reigns. Just hands down. On every category we could talk about, he delivers the heel run. The heel run was always something that we would fantasize about and say, oh, if they could always turn him, it would be huge for him. And guess what? It over-delivered. Just real quick, here's his little pay-per-view run. Rumble KO four stars. Daniel Bryan fast lane four and a quarter. WrestleMania three-way edge with Daniel Bryan four and three quarters. Bryan's go away on SmackDown four and a half. Cesaro backlash WrestleMania four and a quarter. Edge money in the bank four stars. Cena, SummerSlam. Jesus Christ, he had a feud with John Cena, and it was star power through the roof. And he lived up to it, and he was on John Cena's level. Once in a decade, superstar John Cena and Roman Reigns felt as big as John Cena. If not, going away felt bigger than John Cena in the present time, that is. That was four stars. Um, The Finn Extreme Rules match, even with the wonky finish, four stars. Brock at Crown Jewel, three and three quarter stars. Great storytelling, which led to a day one match, which is going to be awesome. You know, so you would think. Oh, yeah, Big E, three and three quarters to four stars. And then, you know, a few SmackDown matches that stood out. Ray Hell in a Cell, uh, three and three quarters. Finn on SmackDown before the Extreme Rules match, three and a half. The Bloodline versus The New Day on Raw, three and a half. Montez Ford, SmackDown, three and a half. Random match, tag guy. We want to see what he got. Let's throw him in with Roman. It delivered. Um, Just, you know, if to compare him to Omega, who really is the one to compare him to, I might as well do it now. Um, Nuance. So longevity, you know, Omega's missing two months at the end of the year. Longevity, Roman Reigns is on TV every, every week. You know, yeah, is Omega having more matches? Maybe. Honestly, Roman Reigns' matches mean a hell of a lot more. Omega's pay-per-view matches, are one was against Orange Cassidy. You know, yeah, Orange Cassidy felt big, not in the match, but not as big as Kevin Owens or Jey Uso or Edge or Ray or whoever Roman would elevate. Just Roman Reigns is the bigger... The star power is not even close, in my opinion. I think Omega is wonky and goofy, and I think Callus helps... Omega more than it Heyman adds to Roman, if you kind of get what I'm saying, in a way. Flexibility. You know, even when Roman does the quick comedy, I think it's way more effective than Omega. Like, all I can think of is Omega and Callus like, humping the mat or something. Just terrible, not really world championship 
it's mid-card comedy. It's not world championship comedy. So I think that takes away from it instead of adds to it. And where Roman would make the missionary joke or Roman laughing backstage at Sami Zayn or Roman with, you know, the Usos making skewing jokes or whatever. I don't know. The comedy works with Roman because he's a fucking star. Um, the jump up factor and, you know, storylines and peaks and memorable moments can't be touched in my opinion that's roman strength this year unbelievable stuff if it's from with cena and even with edge the oh my god the brian farewell stuff roman added to that that the stack of and pin him at wrestlemania so many memorable moments and not in jesus christ the storyline with brock that's all-time stuff gwwe that's going to go down to all-time stuff we're not even talking about the conclusion what's going to happen a week or two at day one or even past that it's just huge jump up stuff for Roman. Promo and Mike skills. This is the highest he's ever been in his career. Again, back to the the turning heel. Even the expectations were high, and he blew it out of the water. The acknowledge me, the entrance, him coming to the ring and just looking at the crowd, and the crowd literally on their feet, saying nothing but gasping for the acknowledgement. And when he says acknowledge me, it's the pop of the night every fucking time. He's a superstar. And the work rate, I went over the quality of this pay-per-view matches, hand down, easily superstar of the year for me, and I don't think it's close. Rossi, what's up? Okay, before, you know, we were talking about Shingo a lot, and I do think Shingo, you know, most outstanding, that kind of bears, you know, me continuing to think. But wrestler of the year for me is Will Ospreay. Um, And this is a guy that really took the second half of the year off too. So he worked a very aggressive schedule from pretty much January 4th with, with Wrestle Kingdom up until that before-mentioned match of the year with Shingo on May 4th. Between those that stretch of time from January 4th to May 4th, he had three five-stars, four, I'm sorry, three four-star matches, and one six-star match. A six-star match being the one that, that essentially sent him on a six-month vacation. So why did I pick him over Shingo? He carried the New Japan brand for the better part of the year, um, but for the early part of the year, I should say. Kind of brought New Japan back to life a little bit. His match with Kata at Wrestle Kingdom was, in my opinion, the best match of the two-day stretch. Um, and it really showed a transition for him. Osprey was always known as like the flip guy, the high flyer. Um, he was always a high flyer, flyer to me that had like a well-rounded overall wrestling base. But at that match with Okada, it kind of showed that he had switched to more of the strong style base with all the other elements still there when he needed it. Um, he ended up finding a style in that stretch to me that last will lat- make his career last longer and not ultimately kill him by the age of 35. You know, everybody always made the Dynamite Kid comparisons with Osprey. I think in the last year, year, year and a half, really, as he started to ramp up to this, he's really found a different niche to himself. Um, and he's just overall showed his value to New Japan to the point that he went from being a super junior guy to being their world champion. So basically, as it ran through the year, I mean, he really built up his character work when he put the United Empire stable together uh, with B. Presley, uh, Gray O'Conn, um, and Jeff Cobb. Um, really elevated all of their careers as well by doing that. Um, he made the transition to Shingo with the belt going, eventually ending up to Shingo bigger than it would have been if it went from Okada to Shingo. Um, basically... He won the belt, then had to relinquish it after the after beating Shingo in the six-star match, and then Shingo beat Okada for the vacant title the next month. And then Shingo kind of ran from there. I don't think Shingo is as important without the two Osprey matches that got him to that point. Um, and then he came back from that point, and he continued to be the smarky heel in as he worked New Japan Strong, still carrying the title because he said he never lost it. And that ultimately, which he didn't, and then ultimately that, that's going to lead to him, you know, getting a you know shot to unify his fake world title with the real world title, um, IWGP title at Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 in a couple weeks here. He just simply had the biggest impact of anybody not in WWE and AEW. And he also had some killer moments that you'll look back on. Like, I know 
Um, when B Presley was set to leave for WWE, and now she's what Blair Davenport or whatever her name is, he won New Japan Cup. Now that stretch of New Japan Cup for him started in March 7th and ended on March 21st. In that stretch, he had well, actually March 7th he had a three and three quarter star match, but March 14th, 20th, 21st, and 4th he did a five, a four, a five and a half, and a 4.75. That's in the span of like two and a half weeks. Then from there. He went into the Shingo match, which was six stars, which was a, his first real title defense. And then, you know, he just started getting back into wrestling the last couple of weeks or last month or so. Um, he's been in the States. He worked um, a House of Glory independent show in New York, and he did a four and a half star match with Amazing Red. And then he worked Ren Narita at the New Japan Battle in the Valley on the same weekend in California. So he went New York to California one night to the next and then banged out a four star with Ren Narita. So he's back. Uh, um, he's one hundred. He was supposed to work a little MLW, too. But then they had it falling out with New Japan, so that's not ultimately going to happen. But, I mean, this guy became and someone that you would put into the most outstanding category to a lot more well-rounded this year. And that's with him basically only working a, a five-month schedule this year. I mean, he, he jammed so much in that five-month. It was impossible for me. And New Japan missed him when he was gone much more than they probably ever even imagined they would. Um, they just missed his star power. They missed his mic work. They missed his overall demeanor and what he added to the shows. Back to what we were saying with the Blair Davenport or um, B. Presley thing. Right, that he won the New Japan Cup and went on to win the title from Kota Ibushi that that next week. Um, he had a stare down with Kota Ibushi and he told Kota to his face, "Nothing means more to me than that world title." And then he gave uh, B an Oz cutter and sent her to WWE. <laughs> <laughs> so that ultimately showed a different level of character for him. And really just took, you know, his star power to another level. And I mean, that was something I remember waking up and forgetting that show was even going on and seeing so many gifts of him, you know, hitting his girlfriend with a with an RKO, basically. And that was where I really like the, the switch turned on for me with Osprey. Watching his Wrestle Kingdom match was the first part, but then just seeing how he evolved that character and became more of an overall star really impressed me. And I think the amount of time that this guy has left in his career is just astonishing. So for him to change the way his ring, ring style was going to go so he wasn't going to be the dynamite kid is going to play out to make everything that he does in the future that much more impactful and he's going to work a style that's going to be safer and smarter for not only him but his opponents and he is a true bonafide star in new japan now um, only in my opinion to be usurped by okada when okada turns it on so osprey's my guy um, and i really don't have a compelling case to argue anybody else as far as that goes at least in my parameters all right so are we agreeing hands down these three because I don't have anyone else on Roman's level. I don't. I don't think Mike does either. Eller, that is. Are these the no. top three guys? Yeah. Rossi, how long was Osprey out with that injury? He didn't wrestle from May fourth until November twelfth. Oh, it's just half the year there. You don't think that hurts him? I them? still think that impacts. So I think it hurts him in thinking about the overall winner. Yes, I would pick Omega and I would pick Reigns over him. But I don't think anybody else impacted non WWE or AEW to his level at all. Um, so I think if he worked the whole year uninterrupted, he might be the overall number one, but he did not to say that if he worked G one, all of his stats would have been doubled, but he didn't. So let's go reigns or Omega there. But I do think that he's a very compelling case for three. I might even put Danielson ahead of him, but he's right there in that conversation. Okay. So Danielson, yeah, Danielson's a linchpin too, maybe for this now, because I don't think Danielson would overcome. Oh, personally, I think it's reigns. So I'm not going to fight for it anymore. But Danielson, would he he might overcome Osprey, but it's similar, you know, four months to six months. Danielson, a little more landscape, he's crossed or whatever. We did that earlier. But I don't know, interesting. So history-wise, we have 
2020 Moxley, 2019 Jericho. Are you fucking kidding me? All right, anyways, um, <laughs> but the, here's the thing. They weigh New Japan a lot. So would Osprey resume line up to Jericho's in 2019? Or Moxley's in 2020, who was who was also a, a half a year because of the pandemic. Yeah, you I know. think it would. I think it definitely would. And Moxley didn't have – Moxley had the star power. Jericho had the star power, but they didn't have the in-ring that went yeah. with that star power. Um, but here, in what I just thought about when you were just mentioning Danielson, we're in a unique spot here. And this is where there could be a compelling case for it to be Danielson. Danielson yeah. started the first half of the year feuding with Roman Reigns. And helping elevate Roman Reigns. I mean, not that Roman Reigns needed elevating, but you know what I mean. His in-ring he solidified ele- him. Yeah. His in-ring elevated by working with Brian. Brian goes over to AEW, pretty much instantaneously hops in a feud with Omega. Omega's yeah. coming out of feuds with Moxley with the poor exploding ring. Christian, Pac, and Orange Cassidy. He elevated Omega too. Um, and it kind of got it kind of got Omega hot again for that that feud with Hangman. And that's where Danielson might be a compelling case here because of just his overall impact in two major companies with the two major stars that we're saying are one and two. Danielson was there for both of them. That might push him over the edge and drive him up the list when we weren't even thinking about it that way. That's a really good point. So we have a a four-way conversation. That's a really good point too. Mike, Ellard, what's up? Yeah, I was just saying, like, you know, I'm me picking AEW, you picking WWE, kind of like you can't pick like four months of Brian versus yeah, four months and four like and and four months of Danielson. But when you put it all together and you're not just for the exercise we are doing, um, I think he's he's the man. <laughs> he's just so good. He's just he's great. Here's the thing, he doesn't I don't want to say he's not a draw because he's he kinda he is to an extent, but he's not necessarily a draw. Like, yeah, sir like his 60-minute match didn't make a million, but they made a million this week when with the fallout from it. He didn't make two million. I hate to say it, with his match with uh, with Roman on his farewell, he didn't make two million. Granted, it was against day two of the NFL draft, but still, SmackDowns were getting two millions around then. He didn't break it. He didn't draw the viewers in for that. It's hard to say Daniel Bryan isn't a draw. And being a draw, I think, should add to this a little bit for a case. And I think Roman Reigns is hand down a draw every week where he is the most viewed YouTube, the most viewed TV ratings, which dominates the conversation <laughs> for, for fucking half the week, it seems like. And Roman Reigns is easily the, the highest drawing wrestler ratings wise, hands down, merchandise wise, too, maybe outside of Cena for that mini run. I just think throughout the board he trumps any argument you guys could make for anyone i could make with for roman in my opinion this is an interesting one because i don't know if observer readers would actually vote for him i would personally i know that i'm picking aw if i get when i do the vote or whatever i'll vote for roman one mainly because i agree with a lot of what you said and like i said like i i think how we went about like who we picked says a lot about it where you know, I was dancing around it for a couple days and like trying to think about it. And you knew already who, yeah, who you right wanted away. to pick. And I wanted to go with Brian. I think that that has a lot to do. I, I think that says a lot. And then with Rossi's points, putting it all together full circle, that that makes a compelling argument. But I just you just want to talk money or ratings or whatever. It's just, you know, it's is it subjective enough? But with this viewership, they're watching everything. So <laughs> the points that I make. I'm just talking nonsense to them, really. You know what I mean? They, they could skew that argument for whatever. I don't know. It's very interesting. I'm going Roman 1. 
I don't know who my two would be now, but I think Omega's my four. Just off of the arguments Rossi made for Osprey, it's Diet Omega. You know, it's not 2017, it's not 2018 Omega. And the comedy stuff with Callus, yeah, it's entertaining, but for being wrestler of the year, it's not main event. It's mid-card to me, and I don't think his title run's going to age as well as others. I, some may, people like Dave may try to highlight it and prop it up to be, but... I don't, when you break it down, I don't think he does. Like, he just mentioned Christian, Orange Cassidy, Pac, that fucking – the Bob wire thing is, is horrendous. You know what I mean? It was a decent match, but that's so damaging. And luckily it's for him. It was in February where it's kind of forgotten about, where we didn't even bring it up until Rossi did earlier. And then the Hangman moment wasn't even Hangman's best moment. It was with Danielson three weeks later. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's flawed, and I just think it's Roman. Anyways. One other thing that I'll add in on that, too, just in thinking about that, is, you know, Omega's run with the title was great, but I feel like it could have been better. I feel like we didn't get peak Kenny Omega. I feel like we've seen peak Kenny Omega in Japan. This run, I mean, by, by no means was this a bad run. I think it got stronger as it went on. Um, obviously, that was helped out by Danielson, and that was helped out by Hangman and that story. But whenever he comes back, he's going to feel like a bigger star again, um, in my opinion. Um, this might go into an elite feud with Undisputed Era or whatever they're going to do. I don't know. I feel like when you're comparing the two, we're at peak Roman Reigns. I can't find any way that we're not. Um, How, but I, don't, I don't know, man. When The Rock comes back, that's a next level. Omega, and I think that makes a difference. You're right. And that's the thing is, is we still can get more. We are seeing the best Roman Reigns that we've seen right now. When we haven't seen this. We, is are, the best we did Kenny not like see the best Kenny Omega that we've seen. We yeah, saw, but the best Kenny could have been. We saw a damn good Kenny, but we didn't see the best. Yeah, it could have been 2017 exactly. Kenny. It could have been 2018 Kenny. Yeah. But uh, it's subjective. We'll see. It should be fun. Maybe we'll have a, a quicker wrap-up show when these are released, and we'll kind of go over what we got and see where we're at for another little uh, no-so-special. What do you guys think for that? I like it. All right, guys. Well, at two hours and change, I think it's time to wrap it up. Mike Eller, thank you very much for doing the AEW side. This is a lot of fun. Uh, part one and part two, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Rossi, same. You had a tougher job. We took uh, two big promotions away from you and gave you the rest, but you fucking did a home run, dude. Thank you. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. It was a challenge that I enjoyed, and I knew that I wasn't going to win many categories, but I brought a different light to the table and kind of made more points for myself as I was listening to you guys' points that I really enjoyed. So this was a lot of fun. Um, Let's make this a yearly tradition. Hey, it sounds good to me. I agree. Yeah, for sure. All right. Hey, Mike and Mike, again, thank you very much. No So Network. I'm sorry for the long podcast, but I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you are still here. Hey, we'll catch you next time. Yeah.